All those comics, all the games, all those toys, all the TV, the animation. Just give us, just give us one hour and 45 minutes and we will give you everything more. Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 315. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by... Ben Morse, joined by... Tucker Marcus, joined by... Did, we already did that's that. It. Oh, that's it. oh. You're not joined uh, I just got into the rhythm. Low man on the totem pole. <laughs> hey, real talk. Mm. We're recording this week in a different location. Yes. Which sounds really echoey to me, so I'm sure it sounds really echoey to you guys. Uh, I'm looking at Maggie, who's like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. You all sound like dumb heads anyway. <laughs> and uh, so we're in the Ant-Man conference room, which, yep. to be fair has not been fully kitted out as a proper conference room yet. No. And it's definitely not built for podcast recording. No. Uh, I was the one who booked the the room, so I take full responsibility for all failings and shortcomings of this week's episode. The table is round, Mm -hmm. yet it is divided into three, so it's not even a whole cohesive table. Tucker has already pulled part of it uh, apart, and so everything could fall apart in the middle of this episode. Yeah. I, I, I just I, I would like to encourage listeners to just imagine we're in some kind of cool cave. Like we're in a long, you know, like week long like journey through like some sort of exotic location. We and have we to just stop for a to night. A yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a fire crackling. Yeah. Yeah. Those are fire noises. Yeah, <laughs> if you guys couldn't tell. Uh, so what's going on, guys? Well, uh, we've been planning the future of this week at Marvel mm-hmm. over the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Some interesting changes and, and updates coming in the new year. Mm. Uh, working on that should be fun, and, and hopefully you guys dig it and um, uh, stay along for the ride and tell your friends and tell your moms and tell your dads and your cousins and everybody. I dare say this will be the most epic overhaul to This Week in Marvel since we started doing the show. Without question. There, uh, so there's going to be a lot of changes coming up, but they're good. Good changes. Yeah, good creative changes, and, yeah. and we hope we'll make for better shows mm-hmm. uh, all around. Um, ben, mm. you saw Marvel Studios Thor Ragnarok. I did. Let's talk. I saw Marvel Studios Thor Ragnarok on Sunday afternoon. Yep. Wait, you know what? Let's say right now, we may get a little spoilery. Yeah. We'll try not to get too spoilery, but if you haven't seen the show, the movie yet, Skip a couple minutes ahead. We won't feel bad. No. Come back to it, because you're definitely going to want to hear us talk about the show. And go. Um, so I enjoyed it. I saw it Sunday afternoon after going to my goddaughter's fourth birthday party. So I was definitely in the mood for a little adult entertainment. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> so instead I saw Thor Ragnarok. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, which was pretty adult. Oh, yeah. There's a lot was, of themes in there. It was PG-13. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was great. I thought mm-hmm. it was cracklingly funny the tone was very different than the previous Thor movies I thought uh, Chris Hemsworth proved his comedic chops very nicely that guy can hang and deliver a line like anybody mm-hmm. uh, Hulk was great yep um, Hulk butt was great that Hulk is a great. that is oh, a yeah. delightful green tuckus mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely Kate uh, Blanchett was just magnificent as Hela really brought something to the role that you wouldn't expect um, 
Hiddleston maybe a little underutilized. Really? I thought. See, I actually really liked the way Thor and Loki worked in this movie, yeah. and that you had like Loki sort of felt there was a good like feeling I had about mm-hmm. Loki and his mm-hmm. place in the world, in the family, in the universe. Right. Um, and the stuff at the beginning with him impersonating Odin. That was that was fantastic. Yeah. And Delightful. Matt, and Matt Damon was in the movie. Matt Damon. Matt Luke Hemsworth. Damon. Yeah, I saw Luke Hemsworth. That was <laughs> great. And forgotten Sam, Hemsworth. And Sam Neill, yeah. which was terrific. The first time I saw it months and months ago in an unfinished version, I was like, what? <laughs> Cracking up, not expecting it at all, and it was it was wonderful. Yeah, uh, Jeff Goldblum as Jeff Goldblum. Oh, it was great, magnificent. Yeah. I want to marry him, yeah. and I'm already married. <laughs> we go into polygamy just for uh, just for Goldblum. Yeah. But it was it was great. I mean, the action was pretty intense. The uh, oh, you know who didn't get a get a shout out deserves one? Uh, Idris Elba. Idris Elba was great. You're also missing Tessa friggin' Thompson. Oh, my. Yes, Tessa Thompson. As Valkyrie. I forgot. Tessa Holy Thompson's crap. Valkyrie. What a revelation. Uh, she was great in Creed, and she was even better here. I, yeah. She felt so natural. She felt like she just fit right into the Marvel Universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, she was great. So, yeah, all the, all the individual performances were great. The story was nice because it was so action-packed mm-hmm. and so heavy on one hand but so light in terms of the dialogue. And it keeps moving. The yeah. thing that I really dug about it is it like... Non-stop motion. You're, you keep like, boom, mm-hmm. you've got you know Thor dealing with Surtur. Then he goes to, to Asgard. Then he goes to Earth. And then it's like, mm-hmm. they just it's constantly going and you're learning it's a lot. It's very fast. Yeah. Um, uh, Scourge, so good. Oh my God. Probably <laughs> my favorite moment in the whole movie, honestly, was Scourge's last stand. Because... I don't think you've read this because we talked about it and you hadn't read it. The Simonson issues. No, I I, 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 I actually went back afterwards and and read some of those those pages in particular. Yeah. So there's it's literally taken right yep. from the comics. Um, Scourge's Last Stand is great. Carl Urban is great He's, as Scourge. Scourge is fantastic. Yeah. He was the character I wanted more of. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yep. He's so good. Um, Korg played Korg. by Taika Waititi. Oh. Mm-hmm. Man. Just. Magnificent. Yeah. To clarify, mm. Hela's powers are essentially she makes knives. So there's more to it than that. Please. She. So it, it's even said uh, in the like the press kit and everything that they took elements from Gore the God Butcher mm. in developing how oh, Hela so cool. would sort of not necessarily look, but like how. Her her powers would be exhibited. Okay. So, you know, Gore in the uh, Thor, the God of Thunder arc, makes weapons out, right. out of the, like... The ether. The ether mm-hmm. stuff that he has. And so they use that in, in how uh, Hela makes her many, many weapons. That's such a cool touch. Because yeah. I, I, I thought that was really neat that she wasn't just, you know, throwing magic around or something like that. She had a very visceral, very violent mm-hmm. power set and really could get down and dirty with people and uh, the way the movie ended which I will not give away um, I thought was tremendous it was not what I was expecting at all and really felt very powerful uh, felt very ominous and really steers towards the next chapters in this Marvel Cinematic Universe it really left you wondering oh my god what the F happens next yeah now if you were at San Diego Comic Con or D23 Expo 
you may have seen the Avengers Infinity War mm. teaser footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you've probably read uh, some descriptions about it. Um, it's interesting now yeah, right. of what we know about Thor publicly mm-hmm. and what has been shown. Yeah. Um, very interesting pieces. <laughs> I'm trying to skirt around all the issues as much as possible, but yeah, it's really cool. According to my wife, um, <laughs> short-haired Thor is vastly superior to long-haired Thor. Huh. Yeah. Wow. She, she was. Uh, Maggie agrees. Maggie's giving the yeah, thumbs up. She made, I, <laughs> I agree. I think Hemsworth. Hemsworth looks great no matter what. Yeah, you could. Um, yeah. But yeah, she was. She was watching the commercial and she said, "Oh, oh." <laughs> uh, she took notice when he showed up with his short hair. She's yeah. like, "Oh, that's a big difference." I do like in the movie when he um, when he begs. Stanley not to cut his hair. Yeah, <laughs> please, yeah. kind sir. Of please, kind sir. Of don't cut my hair. <laughs> so good. All such all, a great cameo. It's all great. Yeah, really yeah. fun. Uh, I'm glad you dug it and saw I it. Dug it. Yes, I'm glad I saw it. I uh, was worried for a little bit because I was supposed to see it on Saturday, but um, my wife dropped a weight on her phone. Oh, I, I no. thought you were gonna say foot, foot. and I was no, very yeah. upset. Nope, nope, phone, nope, nope, nope. phone can She's be okay. replaced. She dropped it on her phone. We had. I was supposed to go see Thor. Instead, we had to go take her phone to get fixed. The next day, um, our baby was being a little fussy, so I was waiting for my wife to say, you know, could you stay here and help me out with the baby? And she, to her credit, said, I promised you you could go see Thor. You can go see Thor. Don't even worry about it. So I Very did nice. get to see it, despite uh, the obstacles piled in my way. Nice. Um, this week, I am off to L.A. for right. the... Uh, superheroes half marathon mm. at Disneyland Resort. Do you feel ready? Aside from fighting a, a minor cold, yep. yes, fully ready. I can run. I just want to make sure I'm healthy mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. it. So that's the hope. In the next couple of days, as we're recording this, uh, I'll be fine. But if you guys listen to this uh, somehow early Friday, uh, uh, I'll be running the 10K and the half marathon for the weekend. If you're there. Please say hi. We're shooting yeah. uh, an episode of Thwip the Big Marvel Show, so the whole Thwip crew will be there. We're doing a lot of fun stuff, so find us. Say hello if you're at the Superheroes Half Marathon. Um, did y'all watch Stranger Things? I finished it this week. No? No? Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. I watched the first two episodes of season one, and I enjoyed them. Wow. I watched the first episode of season one, and I did not get super into it. Okay. Uh-huh. That's fair. I, My wife and I binged yeah. seven episodes. This weekend, yeah. and it was great. Uh, picked up Super Mario Odyssey, oh, so I get to play that. Nice. Yep, very yes. excited. I awesome. found myself when I was uh, when I was changing Hazel's diaper yesterday, whistling something and not thinking what it was, and then realizing it was the Legend of Zelda theme. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, I am so great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's fun. Yeah, lots of lots of good things going on. Lots yeah. of stuff happening. And lots of comics to talk about this yeah. week. This it, was the revenge week, as we call it. <laughs> Last week we had like 13. This week is like 22 or 21 or something. It's more. Um, but if you're just joining us, we're going to go through all the new comics out this week. Print, digital, single issues, and collections. And then we're going to do, I don't know, some news and yeah. West Coast stuff. And get to your questions and comments at the end. If you have questions and comments for us, use the hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel or email us at twim podcast at marvel.com that's t-w-i-m p-o-d-c-a-s-t at marvel.com we'll get back to him in two weeks next week is our twim urc some more holiday it would be so uh so we're going to talk about some some holiday issues do we have another special guest or is it just us 
I don't know. Hmm. I gotta see. Yeah. And see who I can conjure. Sure, sure. I don't know when I'll be back in the office. It's yeah, either Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week, so okay. we'll figure it out. We'll roll with it. Yes, we will. As we do. But we should roll into the new comics out this week. Who's yeah. up first? Looks like the Tuck Man's going to start us off. Let's do it. Uh, I have Daredevil number 595. It's Mayor Fisk Part 1. It's the first Marvel Legacy issue written by Charles Soule, art by Stefano Landini, colors by Matt Miller. Quick question for both of you. Yes. yes. Daredevil, back in the traditional red costume. Thumbs up or thumbs down? I mean, it's a great costume. It's a classic So I costume. always love it. Yeah. Um, I'd like to... I'd like to think he just keeps his costumes and like, hey, you know yeah. what, today yeah. I want to go with the one. I can't see what it looks like, but I'm going to go yeah. with this other one. <laughs> oh, so sad. Maybe, maybe, yeah, I guess that's the idea. It's just that. Or maybe he thinks he is in the black costume. Right. That's real he, sad. He has no idea. Yeah. Poor Daredevil. What if he just puts on like mismatched versions one day? Yeah. Just has like the yellow hoodie and That could be red cool. Shirt. And then someone's just like, dude, come on. Lock it up. He's, he's like, I'm blind. Damn it. And then he hits him with a Billy Club. Daredevil. Hit you with a Billy Club. Uh, this is the issue of Mayor Fisk. And we start out with a really quick uh, look back, uh, kind of a little uh, retrospective on the life of the man and his relationship with Matt Murdock. And then we see a celebration in Times Square. Uh, where uh, Foggy and Matt are talking about how this could have happened, how uh, Wilson Fisk somehow uh, was elected mayor of New York City, and Foggy says he he uh, waited until the last possible day to announce his candidacy, and then it just all happened so fast after that, and it was just kind of a, 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 a just a smash uh, campaign. Gypsy do Dunkaroo. That's yeah. right. Yeah, one of those. Uh, and Harlem Globetrotter style. Yeah. Yes, it was a Harlem Globetrotter style election. And uh, 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 then we go to the district attorney's office where Matt is obviously trying to find a way that this could legitimately happen because he just doesn't believe the people of New York City could fall for something like that. There's a really great scene here where... Uh, who's he talking to? Did His assistant DA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the woman who works with him. Yeah. She, right. She she says, I ever tell you that I used to have a car, Matt? And oh, he that's says, a story. Uh, it's a heartbreaker. N- no, you never did. And she tells him about how he, she would take her car and have like long weekends in the mountains and go skiing. And she loved driving her car. And then she says, and then Spider-Man threw it at the rhino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, what could I do? I couldn't sue Spider-Man. And so it's getting at this concept of uh, what heroism is, what vigilantism is, and how Wilson Fisk is kind of using that to his advantage um, to, to, to clamp down on the vigilantes of New York City and to instill a new order uh, that uh, is, I guess, somehow more legitimized, but it's also, we know it's Wilson Fisk, so this is the kind of difficulty but of the situation. But you know, situation. like, the, this stuff... The, he can happen, you know, yeah. like he says the right thing. He does the, you know, he changes some minds. He goes out there. He has a right campaign. Like there's a number of ways yeah. those things could happen. And a guy like Wilson Fisk can be in there. Yeah. Right. What I like about this issue is the way it feels like Matt is just frantic. Mm. He's just like, this is wrong. We need to fix this as soon as possible. We need to get this better yesterday. And everyone else around him, like from Foggy to his assistant, to everyone around has like varying degrees of, kind of 
you know, this happened, but whatever. This is the world now. We're just going to kind of deal with it. Mm -hmm. And he's just railing against it. It really feels like it's not just, and you'll get to the stuff with the police and stuff, but it's not just Matt against the Kingpin. It's Daredevil against New York. Right. Yeah. Um, so he, he's kind of, he, he, Matt is having that struggle. And so obviously what his natural instinct is to do is to put the suit back on. And he says, you know, what he knows he has to do is help save New York City. He says one fight at a time, one night at a time. And as he's leaping into one of those efforts in an alleyway, he gets tased. And then it's the New York Police Department set up a sting to take him down. They bring him in to uh, Mayor Fisk's office uh, where he's left alone with the new mayor uh, overlooking the city. Matt uh, breaks out of his handcuffs, uh, uses his club to bust out of the window uh, and fly off into the night. Uh, It is a really interesting kind of pushing off kind of a uh, just a kicking, like just leaving uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> leaving Las Vegas. Uh, it just feels like a um, the the ship is starting to sail here, and and there's so many big things happening, and the wind is pushing stuff. But it's a it's a it's an interesting kind of all right. Here we go. Entrance into this whole story, and it's an interesting uh, metaphor you got going on. Well, thank yeah. you so much. Um, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it just ends with uh, Mayor Fist saying, "Go get him." To there's the a police. There's a great scene in there too with uh, Hammerhead. Yeah, uh, mm. where he's like, "Hey, you did it!" Yeah. I don't know how you did it, but you did it. This yeah. is great for me. It's great for you. It's great for all of us. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and King Fisk is just, just like. Nope. And he's smart because one, he probably knows Daredevil is there. He knows like people are listening. Like, you know, I'm sure he's got his plans, but. Just gonna keep it on the up and up. Yeah. I also want to shout out the legacy pages I was in there. Just gonna say. Rod mm-hmm. Reese yep. uh, and and Robbie Beautiful. Thompson. Beautiful Rod Reese art in those legacy pages, giving you the the lowdown on who Daredevil is. Great. All right, up next we've got Falcon number two, written Falcon. by Yeah, that's the theme song. I know. Uh, written by just Rodney. Just wrote it. Written by Rodney Barnes. Art by Joshua Cassara. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Oh, the colors in this book. Yes. Colors in this book. I loved the. I, I liked the first issue. Mm-hmm. I loved this issue. Yes. Uh, the art has got this gritty grime to it, which works really well because uh, you've got Blackheart, mm-hmm. the son of the devil, one of the sons of the devil. Yeah, one of a few. He's <laughs> the son of Mephisto specifically, uh-huh. right? Because we have Spirits of Vengeance, which we'll talk about later, in which Hellstrom says something about being. You know, the son of Satan. Mm. So I think right. Blackheart might be Mephisto's only kid. But I don't know. I mean, those devils, they get up to business. The scamps. Sometimes. Yeah, those those <laughs> lovable scamps. Those cads. <laughs> uh, so you've got uh, Blackheart, who is a favorite of ours, mm, who's here. Blackheart. And he is posing as the mayor of Chicago and twisting everything. Chi-town. Yes. And he is causing The Windy riots. City. <laughs> He's causing riots and trouble uh, aplenty. Uh, he's... Put these two gangs at odds, and then you know, spark some riots in there. And one of the gang leaders, who he's really working closely with, is sort of like, "Yeah, give me my money. I want to go. This is great." He's yeah. like, "Wait, dude, you don't realize there's so much more to this." He's like, "I will show you the world." <laughs> like he, Blackheart does this like this little show and tell where he takes 
the dude's spirit and they go into the cosmos and they go it's just this wonderful like really cool cosmic aspect of a street level book right. where you take Blackheart and he's taking this guy and he's like hey we're gonna go over here look at this this is a party where all the cosmic abstracts just they hang out and say what they're doing and these I days. love that Blackheart's motivation is he just wants to get to that table Yeah, he mm-hmm. just wants a seat at the table I love what he says uh, I asked my dad if I could have a seat at the table and he banished me to hell for a thousand years yeah. and then I came back and he's like the one thing that none of these entities have been able to do, which I'm going to do, is destroy Earth. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He just wants to be in the room where it happens. Yeah. You know, Hamilton? No, no, I haven't seen it. You know, I know you, it. You know yeah. that. Okay, cool. We'll do it later. Yeah, great. Uh, but you got all that. I know the song. I just haven't seen the show, <laughs> which Ryan knows. I don't know. People you know. can see things. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Man, this is a sore subject. It is a delight. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, all right. Anyway, we've got uh, back on, like, you know, the earthly plane. Falcon is trying to deal with all this stuff. He and the new Patriot uh, are working different angles and trying to stop things and getting into trouble. I absolutely love their connection, their rapport, their partnership. It is really fun, fantastic. Uh, Rodney does great dialogue. Uh, in their, you know, their quips, their little bits of back and forth, their references. There's a great moment where, um, uh, what's Sean, who is Patriot, is talking about how many people are there. He's like, there must be like, uh, you know, a dozen Wu Tang clans down yeah. there. <laughs> and Falcon's like, I was thinking more like a dozen Earth, Earth Wind, Wind and Fires. fires. <laughs> I was just so like, good. I love it. It. I understood both the references yeah. and yeah. I enjoyed them fully. Uh, and really great. And Falcon's sort of like feeling a little out of it. And who does he call? Dr. Friggin' Voodoo. Dr. Voodoo. Dr. Voodoo having a good week here. Yeah, great, mm. great week for the Voodoo. Uh, Dr. Voodoo comes in and. Actually, like, having a bad week. He shows up, but yeah. things do not go well for him. In, true, true. At but any, uh, any length. More Dr. Voodoo makes me happy. Sure. He shows up and he gives a really cool pep talk to Falcon. He's like. Get your ass in there, you know, like step it up. You're the dude. Be the dude. Uh, They have some really good stuff. There's also like little references to like their friendship, which I dig. Uh, And apparently Sam Wilson loves a thick ankle Mm. or a thick calf, I should say, Uh, which I just I dig. There's lots of fun character stuff in here. It's really, really good. You get Blackheart versus Voodoo and all kinds of wackiness. It's a really great way to merge the cosmic and the street level. And uh, Rodney Barnes. He's great. He's on Marvel's Runaways, the TV show, and so many other things. Uh, so his comic chops are stellar. Moving on to Moon Knight number 188, part one of the Marvel Legacy story, Crazy Runs in the Family, written by Max Bemis, art by Jason Burroughs. Uh, I was really looking forward to this one because, oh, as we know, I loved Max Bemis's Fool Killer. I thought, holy crap, if he gets uh, unleashed on Moon Knight, this is going to be something crazy. I did not expect this kind of first issue. Yeah. This was next level stuff. So we pick up with Ravencroft Asylum, uh, a therapist who's working with a new patient, and she has a pass with Moon Knight. She's dealing with this new patient who's a who's a pyro what would you call him? A pyromaniac. Right? I guess so. He he's he's a military veteran who was bullied in the military and it, as his revenge burned people um, and burned his hands in the process. So we've got this whole thing where basically the therapist is trying to, on oh, the colors are by Matt Lopez, I should say. Um, the therapist is trying to basically figure out Moon Knight by figuring out this 
patient. She's a bit obsessed. She's a little obsessed with Moon Knight. Uh, she talks about, you know, the multiple personality disorder, the bipolar disorder, and she thinks she's really getting through to this patient. And it feels like she's really getting through to this patient. She goes and she invests a bit into the whole Egyptian lore of Moon Knight, Khonshu being uh, related to Ra. Well, I, there's a sequence where she's at the museum and mm-hmm. she's looking at different Egyptian gods in these uh, in this exhibit and just the way that they're depicted mm-hmm. in the exhibit and then afterwards, mm. just such a cool look and a vibe and a way to embody them in the story. Right. And it's the thing is, as she's dealing with this guy, this patient, uh, the patient just seems so harmless and even likable. Yeah. Um, he really just seems like, oh, well, this is, you know, this poor guy. He's been saddled with uh, problems that he can't understand, but you feel bad for him. Yeah. And you want him to get better. Part of, I think, why I connect to this issue from an art standpoint mm. uh jason burrow's art is incredible really good there's vibes of jamie McKelvey yes uh in much of it but there's Absolutely. also especially in the patient's face uh lots of vibes of declan Chalvey yep. and uh steve dylan yeah that gives him this there's a warmness and a, a like uh this sort of connection and closeness like a friendliness to the face that mm-hmm. is something special that is drawn there she has a nightmare where basically she's being attacked by mummies and moon knight comes and saves her and you'll note that i'm most of the way through the book now and i haven't said anything about moon knight that's because spoilers moon knight is not in this issue mm-hmm. his presence is felt in every page uh, but he is not in this issue uh, Dr. Emmett, the therapist, finally talks about the allegory of Conchu and how she thinks this might help her uh, her patient relate to something. And she mistakenly assumes that he has become Conchu. And then she she goes to a, uh, a Department of Veteran Affairs facility to find out more about him. And the doctors are just saying, you know, once again, just saying he's he seems like a nice guy. They don't know what's wrong with him. Then this one other patient says, um, saying, you're here about the nameless one, aren't you? And he says, listen to me. They won't believe me, but I was serving over there at the time. We all know the truth. It was impossible. They had him tied up, naked. How could he possibly have started that fire? No matches, no lighter. I know what he... He just gets cut off. Mm. And then there's an emergency at Ravencroft. Dr. Emmett rushes back. Uh, they, oh God, they... He's just, the patient has just taken the blood of a nurse and just drawn hieroglyphs he, all over the wall. He bit her nose off. Bit her nose off. Um, yeah, that's drew, right, Maggie. Scrunch that drew face Drew hieroglyphs all over the wall. His face is covered in blood. He just like, and then what you were talking about with the way the, the way Justin Barrows does faces, he now just looks like terrifying. Oh, it's scary just as hell. Horrifying. And then uh, she tries to reason with him. She thinks he's being inhabited by Conchu the same way that um, Moon Knight is, and she is very wrong. As he says, Conchu is nothing next to me. He erupts into fire, beautifully drawn, beautifully colored, and it becomes clear that this man now thinks he is raw. He thinks he is the Sun King, and that's the name he's being uh, given as a, as a villain. But hauntingly, the last... Uh, the last page is just Dr. Emmett, who has been burnt to a crisp, being wheeled out, just saying, I believe, I believe, and then just laughing as this madman is now loose in the world. It's going to be on Moon Knight 
we would presume to deal with it. But again, a whole issue of Moon Knight with no Moon Knight, but in which Moon Knight just feels like this this huge presence, this mythic figure, that when we finally get to see him next issue, it's just going to be such a big deal. And I think Max Bemis just did an amazing job with this first issue. Yeah, he's he's got the he's got the stuff. He's got the juice. And we get three great legacy pages by Robbie Thompson and Herman Peralta, uh, once again explaining exactly who Moon Knight is. Max and Jason both write letters in the back about how excited they are to be working on Moon Knight. And next issue, uh, they... Bring Moon Knight into the book, maybe. We hope. Maybe not. But you know what? Who knows? They could go the whole run could without totally ever work with, Moon Knight. Without him, it was yeah. stellar. Really good. All right, Takaru, you're up. I have Spider-Man versus Deadpool number 23. It, I, is this uh, the first issue in, the, in Marvel Legacy? It is. I think yes. it is, yeah. So the, the uh, title new... changed from Spider-Man and Deadpool to Spider-Man versus, versus Deadpool. Yeah. Subtle change, but crucial. Uh, it's written by Robbie Thompson. We get a full book by the man, yeah. uh, as he's done such an incredible job in so much, so many of these uh, legacy books. And Chris Bacalo on art, uh, and we see uh, Mockingbird at the start. She's with some uh, Shield crew members, and then Deadpool busts in and starts lighting him up with his katanas. Then we go straight back to uh, Peter Parker, who is sleeping on Mockingbird's couch, yep. which is really funny. Uh, she's pretty much sick of having him there uh, and tells him that she's got some shield business to take care of in Connecticut and that he needs to get a job, get a life, quit being a bum on her couch and mm -hmm. stop eating her food. He does not listen to any of those things, um, but he uh, knows uh, – he kind of wakes up and he realizes that he needs to go after Deadpool himself. Uh, he contacts Mockingbird, who's in the middle of a fight, and she answers her cell phone. Uh, and tells him where Deadpool might be. Uh, he suits up and goes and finds a helicarrier in New Jersey. Great week for New Jersey, by the way. Yeah, it's huge. Huge, huge week new, for New yeah. Jersey. Look, it's always week. a great week for New Jersey, a.k.a. Shangri-La. But this week in Marvel Comics, it was a great week for New Jersey. Mm. Uh, we'll touch back on this with Ms. Marvel later. Anyway, he... Uh, he goes into the helicarrier and runs into Screwball, uh, who he starts facing off with. They fall into this absurd kind of pit of of Hulk like plush toys, mm -hmm. um, but also mixed in with the toys are pe are people dressed in Hulk costumes, and it's just crazy. It's like the claw game that they've fallen into. Deadpool shows back up. He and Spidey start uh, fighting each other. Uh, they end up crashing through to this, to <laughs> beneath the helicarrier in uh, uh, in water where there are there are two like cyborg sharks yeah. named Bruce and Deborah. Have you skipped over three amazing cameos? I, Four oh, yeah. cameos. Doctor Absolutely. Strange cameos in the first page, which yep. I really yep. liked because that was both uh, a nod for Robbie and for Chris Bashalo. But you skipped over Ms. the the scientist who at one point was Ms. Ms. Modoc, yep. uh, as well as Hellcow. Hellcow. Oh yeah. As well. Did I just miss that page? Yeah. yeah. That was great. Well, yeah, there it is. As Clay Quartermain. Mm -hmm. So well, sort it's an of, LMD sort of, of Clay, Clay Quartermain, Quartermain, but still. Right. You missed. Worth noting. Yeah, yeah. look, I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm. This is, this is why 
I take notes, Tucker. It's mm-hmm. a great Copious point. notes. And, yeah, the hell cow. And, 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 in the scene with the sharks, Manphibian. Yeah. That's right, there, there he is. Uh, they, uh, well, Deadpool does get a chunk taken out of him by one of the sharks who can speak to each other. They love Stranger Things, too, so. <laughs> it's true. Screw you guys, All I'm right. with the sharks. Uh, uh, they come back out of the water uh, into the helicarrier. And uh, Deadpool, as he is wont to do, because he loves Spidey so much, convinces him to join him in a team-up to take on an imposter, Deadpool. Mm. Uh, and there's a great ending where they kind of they go out a trapdoor out of the bottom of the helicarrier, start flying through the sky onto who knows what next. Uh, but that's Robbie Thompson's Spider-Man versus Deadpool. Yeah. And- Legacy pages. Yeah, the legacy pages by Robbie and Todd Knock. There you go. Uh, really, That's right. Really great fourth wall breaking, like super funny legacy pages. Yeah. There's, uh, I especially love the Game of Thrones bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a delight. But yes, really great. All right. Great issue. So, Maggie, I'm going to need you to get ready with check the time code because I'm going to need you to mark down a time when I, I curse and put a bleep in there for Christine. Uh, my notes for my book, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 26. The only note I took says, I effing love this comic book so much. And it's because it is perfect. It is so good. This book is jam-packed. It's got comics by Squirrel Girl, Howard the Duck, Brain Drain, Loki, Craven the Hunter, uh, uh, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Tippy Toe, Galactus, and Nancy Whitehead. How'd they get all those people? You know, they just, they worked really hard. God. Uh, actually, actually, this is a big old jam issue. It's um, a bunch of, what is this, 10 stories mm-hmm. in here, mm-hmm. more or less? You've got a Squirrel Girl story um, by uh, Madeline McGrain, uh, with, she does art, colors, and lettering with a little. Ryan North writes most of them. Most of them, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Brain Drain. Uh, drawn by Tom Fowler and Rico Renzi. Uh, the Craven story is drawn by Michael Cho, which mm-hmm. is great. We'd never see his mm-hmm. interiors uh, at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolverine comic by Anders Nilsson. That's my favorite. Yeah, it's so good. We'll get into all of them. Uh, a Galactus comic by Jim Davis, creator the of Jim Davis. Garfield. Uh, Howard the Duck, uh, written by Erica Henderson, art by Chip Zdarsky. Loki comic uh, with art by Carla Speed McNeil and Rico Renzi. Spider-Man comic, Raza, uh, did the art for that. He usually does covers for yep. us. It was really cool. It was the Luke Cage covers. Tippy Toe comic with art by Rico Renzi um, and the Nancy Whitehead one by Ryan North and Raza. And uh, there's that's a reference to, I think it's like Post Secret, mm. which is this internet thing. Like I had to remind myself what it was. It's, or a softer world. Is that what it is? A what? softer world. Yeah, I think it's a softer world. I don't have internet in here, but I would. It's a whole internet thing, you guys. Anyway, <laughs> so we we'll dig into it. We've got this. The first story is sort of the 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 rapper that is Squirrel Girl, and she is beating up a guy, and she's putting together a zine to raise money for a library. Really, she's just. It's a way to get this cool comics extravaganza of all her her superhero friends making their own comics. So we've got the Howard the Duck story, which is great. It's got Howard making out with a woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, At one point, they're sharing a hamburger between beak and mouth, and it is so hot. You know, that's straight up Chip Zdarsky. Mm. 
the brain drain story is really really good brain drain it's brain drains old-timey feel-good inspiration corner which is ruthlessly engineered to alter your emotions to a more acceptable state i feel like this is something you dig tucker oh i did yeah very much it's really funny it's uh it's great i love brain drain I could take a whole comic of Brain Drain. Yeah. You give it to me. The really the the Loki comic is really really cool because super confusing. No, I couldn't figure it out. No, <laughs> it says welcome to I the wonder. Know, I didn't know which way to go. Well, you follow <laughs> it around. You said welcome to the wonderful world of Loki, and you follow it like you would a regular comic. It's a two okay. page spread. You follow it around, and it sort of folds in on itself. It's like a spiral, I should say. Comes in, and you get to the middle, the spiral, and then it says now read this comic backwards. From uh, the end back to the f- to the start, yeah. and you get the other that story. Made sense. Yeah, and it was really really cool, really really clever. I loved it. It's you've got uh, Cat Loki, mm-hmm. uh, which always makes me happy. We yes. rarely see Cat Fond- Loki. Fondly remembered. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, the story of Spider Man, which oh, so good, is a, a, a story about Spider Man by Craven, which is hilarious. Really really great. Again, I want. Full issues of all of these. All of these. You have the um, the Reply comic by Spider-Man, which has terrible art style of his own, but a cool photo, <laughs> which is art by Raza. Uh, then we've got the Wolverine story, oh, which is not connected to Squirrel Girl in no. any way, but, you know, is just it's fantastic. It's a cool one-off story. Yeah, it's a cool one-off story of Spider-Man, uh, of Wolverine and a Sentinel, and it is terrific. And it was really sweet mm. and heartwarming at yep. the end. I, I was didn't, not. Expecting, I didn't know what he was going to do. No, I was yeah. not expecting it, and not expecting to, to get the feelings from it. Mm. Then you've got Juggernaut versus Bat Squirrel by Tippy Toe. Yep. Uh, this Bat Squirrel character, fantastic. Like money. Yeah. If someone took some sort of bat themed character and mm-hmm. made that, it into, seems like there's a lot of potential, right? Like you could. You do, were just hanging out with bats last week. Yeah. Oh, oh the bats. They were yeah. so cute, you guys. Yeah, bats are adorable. They're amazing. <laughs> no, bats are the Tucker, best. Tucker, don't. <laughs> Tucker, are you actually moving backwards? They're like, <laughs> they're like little flying puppies. They are so cute. It wow. is insane. They, you need to look. There's videos of uh, little bats, like, tucked up like little burritos, and then they get fed, and they're so cute, you will die. Oh, wait, I am actually seeing some bats over there in this cave that we're recording the podcast. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Oh. Uh, then we got the Galactus Gags, oh, which is, is just so great. a series of three-panel strips by Jim Davis, creator of Garfield. These are done very Garfield style, which I think some of these jokes were even Garfield jokes in one way, shape, or form Probably. over the years. Did it, you read how they got Jim Davis? No. In the back? His oh yeah, son yeah, yeah. Is a Squirrel Girl fan. Yes, James, uh, James, Jim Davis's son is a Squirrel Girl fan, and that's how you do it. Yeah, it's it's all about who you know, guys. Yep, and it's all about connections. It's terrific. I'm really glad they got that. So the Raza comic is called uh, a Spidery World, which I'm yes. Now I remember it. It's a softer world. Mm-hmm. It's this thing on the internet. It's three sure, sort man. of photos with uh, text on them. You you can check it out. You'll find it. Uh, but it's really great. This was. Awesome. And there's a little comic by this, this girl named Iris Holdren uh-huh. in there who's been reading uh, Squirrel Girl when she, since she's four years old. Just the best. Yeah. Man, it's the best. Good stuff. My second issue for this week is Zombies Assemble 2, number four, written and drawn by Yusaku Komayama, script by Jim Zub, 
We've been reading these Zombies Assembles comics for going on something like eight months now. Yeah, and I've really come to enjoy them. They're these black and white comics uh, where the Avengers are the cinematic universe Avengers, but not actually the cinematic universe Avengers. They're just they're manga, like yeah, it's, they're manga it's, and it's they're great. full manga. Um, so what we've got here is we've had this Doctor Amano character who's been introduced over the course of the story. We find out that her younger brother Jasper is responsible for this Chitari zombie virus that's been going on. We get a look back at their childhood and it's so touching because we have Amano who, Dr. Amano, who is, uh, her first name is Toshiko. Uh, Everyone thinks she's weird looking because she's Asian. So she has black hair and black eyes. She thinks, uh, she thinks Jasper is just the best. He has like normal, I can say normal. He has, um, he has lighter hair and lighter eyes. And she just says, how long until I look like Jasper? I want green eyes like him. Where will my hair, when will my hair turn brown or gold? And then they just say, oh, I'm sorry, Toshiko, you're Asian. Your eyes and hair will always be that cover. And she goes, then I guess no one will ever want to be my friend. It's so heartbreaking. Horrifying. It's it's just yeah it's just heartbreaking and then we go back to the present day where Doctor Amano has allied with the Avengers they're fighting uh, Jasper who's turned into a monster it looks like Toshiko might be dead there's great action really well drawn so cool looking all the stuff with Iron Man Hulk Thor Captain America War Machine coming in like a boss uh, great action sequences so beautifully drawn the special sound effects that are used uh, this army of zombies. Um, everyone, again, like I said, War Machine coming in to play Cavalry. And then the big finish of the issue is how they deal with Jasper, but also can they save Dr. Amano? Uh, she's a big Captain America fan. The moment with her husband later. Yes, we get to meet her husband, who's also a big Captain America fan. Uh, Bruce Banner takes a big risk to try to cure her. Um, there's all this, all this poor Rhodey has this these problems with the uh, press junket. And uh, Tony ends up just say, Tony just ends up basically doing things how he wants to do them. Uh, we had a nice ending. It's a happy ending um, to this great, crazy zombie saga. A little bit of a mm-mm with a Hulk and Black Widow. Uh, Tony uh, sees Pepper Potts and uh, asks if he can get a do-over on his birthday party, which, which is where this all started. Mm-hmm. And I just love that, man. This is just such a cool story done by really talented people and uh this uh, this element of these two characters who before this series did not exist and yet i cared so much about them really really blew me away yeah it was it was great Mm -hmm. Uh, and if this gets anybody reading more manga awesome but i'm i imagine most of our younger readers read plenty of manga yeah little jerks hey (laughs) i don't know i don't know where that came from man all awesome. right, quick hits time. Let's do it. I am starting off with D- Despicable Deadpool number 289, written by Jerry Duggins, art by Scott Koblish. Wait, Duggins? Multiple Duggins? Yeah, Jerry's Duggins. Is that what I said? Yeah. Mm. Pluralized no, 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 which is okay. If we had Jerry's, more Jerry Duggins, we'd then be all set. Jerry Man. Duggins. Uh, uh, yeah, that would be pretty great. Art uh, Colors by Nick Filardi. Uh, and there's a really hilarious start to the story as... DP is chilling on this picturesque beach with Rogue. They're in their bathing suits. They're having a great time. I hope this Deadpool Rogue thing gets picked up at some point. Yeah. yeah. Just one issue of Uncanny Avengers is not enough to explore the potential there. 
Uh, and, I, and, and you know Gambit fans would love it. <laughs> but love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but as we know, there's no way that's what's actually happening. And we jump back to reality, which has a gun uh, held by Cable right at Deadpool's head. Uh, they're in the middle of uh, a, uh, a volcano uh, where they... Deadpool then reveals the kind of big story arc of what's happening, how uh, Strife, if you'll recall, uh, he owes Strife four dead bodies, and Cable says, that won't fly, we gotta work on this together. Old school team-up style to stop him. Uh, they jump through a portal. Where's uh, that? You already flipped by the page of Scott Cobblish drawing Deadpool and Strife just fighting and fighting and oh, fighting yeah. and fighting. It's so good. This reminds me a little bit of, like, old school like cartoons yeah a little bit it's an escalation like you know violence 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 escalation of events and like Mm -hmm. one-upping and like you know crazy impossibilities it's so great did you know it's the 25th anniversary of the x-men animated cartoon (laughs) exactly just read that online today no no keep going (laughs) that's a dinosaurs jump through the portal and enter the fray then uh, we go to the Pentagon, where we see that a bomb strike has been ordered uh, to stop the entire thing. Did you miss the vampires? Well, yeah, then the vampire there's dinosaurs. Pulled, there's like, Strife is like, I knew you were going to do this. So mm-hmm. here are dinosaurs. And then the dinosaurs come and Cable and Deadpool are like, Wah. and then Strife is like, I knew you were going to be ready for that. Because Cable was ready for that. He's like, I brought starved vampires. And then the vampires come and then you get vampire dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. It is Amazing. I got to say, I'm just happy to see a return to form for Strife, uh, where he's hmm. a big-time villain who has to be taken seriously and who is a legitimate threat to our heroes. Uh, the bomb strike is ordered to stop all the, v- the dinosaurs and vampires, uh, and Cable uses his portal t- to call back to himself a half hour before and tell himself and Deadpool that it's a trap and that they shouldn't do it at all. They decide to heed that advice and look to uh, change tactics uh, uh, moving forward. The only criticism I have Mm. of this issue is that neither Cable nor nor Deadpool said stab his eyes. Or nor Strife. What did I say? Deadpool. I meant Cable or Strife. You meant Cable or Strife. I meant Cable or Strife. I got what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. That is, uh, we got to talk to Jerry. Yeah. About that. I mean, I love Jerry Duggan, but Mm -hmm. I love all the Jerry Duggans, but... Particularly, I need to have a talk with all of them about that line. All right, and uh, yeah, stab his eyes. <laughs> all right, on to Generation X number eight, written by Christina Strain, art by Amokar Pina, uh, colors by Philippe Sobrero, and it opens up with Snuggle Bears. You've got iBoy uh, take iBoy uh, and um, Nature Girl. Nature Girl, thank you. Taking Shogo. Oh, speaking of which, you know what's on tonight? What's, what's that? Thirty for thirty, Nature Boy. Ooh, you gotta ta- you gotta tape that. I know. It's supposed to be real good. Uh, Twitter. They even went out and got an emoji. What? On Twitter, if you hashtag Nature Boy, you get a little. Nature I will Boy. hashtag Nature Boy. <laughs> uh, but we get Shogo snuggling up to some bears at the yeah, park at the zoo. It's really cool. We get to see Husk, which is really cool. Yeah, and I what, Husk. What she's doing with her life? She's uh, a therapist in training, and she's working with uh, one of the X Men, Ruby. Bling. Bling, uh, a.k.a. her first name is Ruby, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, trying to help her deal with her issues that she's going through. So we also have, because Monet has got M-Plate in 
in her in her mm. hands. Yeah, I don't know what's it's going a weird on. It's thing. She's taken the burden of end plate on herself, which has really messed her up. But we've got DOA, and I remember DOA from remember DOA. What is? Do you have any recollection of really what? He, he's just he's uh, end plate's butler, and he basically goes around finding mutants for end plate to snack on because mm. end plate is a mutant vampire. Yeah. So there you go. Very nineties. Yeah. Uh, but we also have some. You know, chaos, and it seems like an earthquake happening in New York City, and everything. I love the stuff with uh, Quentin Quire and the new kid. Yep, the new kid being like, "Man, I wish I had his abs." Yeah, I would. I wouldn't wear a shirt all the time. All those abs, just all those abs, and little things like that. Makes me a good point. Great. How does Quentin have all those, all those abs? He yep. doesn't do anything. No, he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he's got like, uh, like he's vibrating his abs at all times, yeah, so like the muscles genetically do yeah, it. That makes That's sense. what I'm saying. That makes sense. Yeah, science works there. Totally. Uh, but the resolution of why the Earth was shaking is fantastic. And we have the return of Krakoa mm-hmm. from Wolverine and the X-Men, yeah. which is great. I love that there's lots of characters from Wolverine and the X-Men popping up in this issue, in this yeah, book. Yeah, really love what Christina's doing. Oh, yeah. Jessica Jones, number 14, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Michael Gatos and Matt Hollingsworth. It's part two of Return of the Purple Man. Uh, Luke Cage is pissed. Luke Cage is at Rikers Island. He meets up with Captain Marvel. They discuss what's going on with the Purple Man. Meanwhile, Jessica Jones is living through her worst nightmare. It was creepy beyond all. Even like, remember when we saw like the purple children in in Daredevil? This was even creepier. Oh, wait. Basically, Purple Man has taken possession of Danielle, Luke and Jessica's daughter. And she's just basically using her as a puppet. Uh, It's horrifying. Terrible. Um, And he just taunts her. And Jessica kind of is trying to reason with him. She can't fully get pissed off because this guy could basically, you know, make her daughter snap her neck or something like that. She eventually drives her out. She gets her daughter back. It's a really nice moment. Um, They go into hiding. She asks Captain Marvel and the rest of Alpha Flight to help her out as best they can. They're going to take care of Danielle and Jessica's going to go after Purple Man. Uh, she also made sure that Luke and Danny are far out of the way so Jessica can basically focus all of her attention on Purple Man, who is just, as always, the worst. <laughs> the worst. Master of Kung Fu number 126 is the Marvel Legacy one shot. Uh, it is. Written by CM Punk. CM Punk. CM Punk, a dude that could beat you to death, writing a story about a dude that could beat you to death. But neither would. But yeah. neither would. They're both no way. Men. As we as we learn in this book, uh, art by Talibor Talijic, uh, and it's Shang Chi's day off. Uh, he goes from some ice cream with Chi, his lovable, adorable monkey, uh, and then he gets uh, as. We might have expected he gets uh, pulled into some ninja uh, dungeon where he's held captive. He, we get some uh, great kind of backstory uh, in a, a real kind of great legacy fashion. Uh, then he's being prepped to uh, be fed to a like giant octopus uh, and tortured. He breaks out thanks to Chi. He kicks some butt in classic Master of Kung Fu fashion. Uh, he takes down the bad guy, and guess what? He has his ice cream at the end of the day, and it is real fun. The villain is named Dr. Mel Prassus, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> who everybody makes a joke, calls yep. him malpractice. He wants to teach kung fu to animals. Yeah. It's, it's the, the best. I, I texted Punk after I read it because I loved it, 
And I was like, it's like a 90s Jackie Chan or Sammo, Sammo Hung uh, action comedy. It was mm-hmm. so much of what I wanted. And he was so glad to hear that because that was exactly what he was going for. Like the, the, the physical stuff that they do, the, the comedy stuff that's in there, it really, really worked. I dug the crap out of that issue. So good job, uh, Phil. All right, on to Ms. Marvel number 24, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Diego Oltegru. Oltegru? Or, sounds, sounds about right. Olortegui. Hmm. Olortegui. Hmm. Sorry, Diego. And colors by Ian Herring. Uh, you've got Ms. Marvel and the Red Dagger still trying to stop this runaway train. Runaway train, never come back. Yep. Um, <laughs> do you know who sings that song? Rest in peace. Okay, great. That's not it. Uh, we've got... Uh, oh, still, he's still alive? Who sings that song? Soul Asylum. Come oh, on. I thought it was Come Tom on, Petty. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, you got me confused. <laughs> by yeah. my I thought you were question. talking about a band called Rest in Peace. And I was like, yeah, that that's is what I not said. it. Yeah. Anyway, they're, they're trying to stop this crazy train. Uh, it's all about crazy in train. New Jersey. Ozzy Osbourne. Mm. Yep. Going on uh, some really fun stuff with Ms. Marvel and Red Dagger. I love their chemistry. Uh, great stuff. Ms. Marvel being the awesome badass hero, even while she's questioning herself and her place in things. It is a really fun issue. Art is gorgeous. Uh, and it's an interesting like place where it leaves Ms. Marvel and what she wants to do next. Royals, number 10, written by Al Ewing. Art by Javier Rodriguez. Uh, inks by Alvaro Lopez and colors by Jordi Belair. Beautiful issue. Javier just killing it. Uh, the Royals basically encountering these creatures, the progenitors, who precede the Kree, who precede the Inhumans. So we have a big fight, or not really so much a fight as the Inhumans trying to survive. Lots of chances for Javier to really turn it on with the abstract art, with different kinds of panels, with circles, with angles, with Jordi Belair ex- experimenting all over with the colors. Uh, these designs of these characters are insane. The progenitor yeah. designs, I want toys of them. Yep. I want to hug them. The way they ultimately defeat them, that Maximus ultimately defeats them, is great. It's very clever. And um, also just the sense of majesty and power from these creatures and the fact that there are more of them to deal with. It feels like Al Ewing just had these huge ideas and luckily his artists were able to catch up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. We've got Runaways, number three, written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Krasenka and Matt Wilson. And, oh, boy. Yeah, another good one. Y'all, these people are rolling. They are doing so good. The opening spread has uh, Carolina dancing in her dorm room. She's listening to some Beatles, and it is just great. It's her, you know, letting loose. She has her little safety bracelet off. This is the first time we've seen her in this, in this series, and she's happy she's loving life and then knock on the door boom the uh, uh gert chase nico old lace show up and it is like a big like what, what is happening there's this really quick thing that happens uh in the panels and the art where uh they're standing outside her dorm room and her neighbor carolina's neighbor pops out to co- to do something sees old lace and there's just this little this little thing that says nope above the the girl's head or guy's head girl's head I think it's a girl uh, <laughs> over her head it's just a little touch there's so many little touches in here uh, I posted a bunch of panels on Twitter uh, because Nico man uh, 
Chris Anka draws some great Nico faces. He draws great everything, reaction faces, fashion, everything about this book is beautiful. It's cool. There's a big, lots of discussions about getting the band back together. There's the greatest panel in comics this year, which has Old Lace picturing the Runaways as a band playing music. It is the best. You need to read this comic book. And uh, a lot of good discussions about growing up, getting older, maturing, who you are, who you are. There's some really interesting stuff overlaid uh, on the thing where you have a team of super-powered kids and they're dinosaur. And I love this series so much. I think they're doing a great job. It mixes sadness and happiness and all kinds of emotions that these, these young folks are having. And then there's some weird, interesting mystery stuff with the head of Victor Mancha. I'm again. All right, we've got She-Hulk number 159. This is the first issue, the first legacy issue. Uh, written by Mariko Tamaki, art by Janoi Lindsay, colors by Federico Blee and Chris Sotomayor. And uh, opens at a place called Burger Cakes Diner, which is Does this like, exist? I don't think so, but if it this seems, exists, we should check it out. <laughs> it feels like it would. I don't know. You know I don't like cake. Hmm. but These aren't cakes, though. I think this is pancakes. All right. All right, yeah, pancake, pancake burgers. burgers. I'll eat that. Yeah, why not? Uh, but you've got this this woman. Uh, she's a doctor. She's doing some research. She's interviewing Jen Walters. I love this character. Yeah, she's great. She's quirky and funny and odd. Uh, some fun stuff with Patsy and Jen. But uh, She-Hulk, Jen, she gets captured. And mm-hmm. she's in a bit of a bind. And it's this woman is behind it, but she's got an accomplice. Uh, spoiler. The accomplice is on the cover. It's yeah. the leader, guys. It's the leader, everyone. The leader. He's a jerk. Uh, he's creepy and weird and mean, and it's a really cool story. Who do we have on the legacy pages in the back? Who do we have on the legacy pages? I'm singing so I can open the pages. Uh, it's it Robbie Thompson with art by Delabor Talajik. There you go. Yeah, it's really great. It's very nice. Spirits of Vengeance number two, The War at the Gates of Hell continues, written by Victor Gishler, art by David Baldion, colors by Andres Mosa, Hellstrom and uh, Blade and Ghost Rider go to a store they think they can trust, uh, Eduardo's Rare and Collectible Books. It's an old friend of Hellstrom's, he thinks nothing of it. Uh, turns out Eduardo is kind of a demon, he's got a bunch of demons. In his store, they all want to steal Johnny Blaze. So Johnny Blaze is wanted. Uh, there's something going on as far as a war between heaven and hell. These guys are trying to get to the bottom of it. Necrodamus is involved. Uh, demons are going all over the place, finding these hidden demons, drawing them out. Satana has a role. Um, there is a character named Raisin, Raisin, who is... Uh, sowing craziness all over the place and then Necrodamus finally gets the big meetup that he wants uh, he has captured a bunch of angels and shows that he has devised a manner with which to destroy angels and there are some very interested parties David Balian draws some really cool mm. really gnarly monster faces Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I have Star Wars number 38 what really? a shock <laughs> uh, classic Marcus thank you uh, it is the new creative team of Kieran Gillen and Salvador La Roca. The uh, original Darth Vader creative team Correct. for us. Correct. Uh, who's, who's the colors by? Uh, Guru EFX. Yeah. And uh, we start on In the Ashes of Jeddah, which also happens to be the name of this storyline. And Luke. Wait. Sh- the Ashes of what? 
Jeddah. Oh, you mean the planet from Star Wars, a Rogue One story. Now that is a tie-in. Mm-hmm. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. <laughs> uh, Luke has a great Return of the Jedi moment where he shows up on this awesome space horse uh, that then gets uh, quickly blasted. Uh, he saves a couple of new friends that they've made on this planet. They run to the Falcon, where then they go to Nujeta, which is overlooking Jeddah. It's New Jeddah. Oh, big boss Ben, that is an A. Oh, it is? Yeah. Wow. I you got tucked. I got tucked. I am an assistant editor at Marvel Ten- Entertainment, and I know the difference between an A and a U. Thank thankfully. All right. <laughs> Good. We've been in a bad to, place if you get did. to keep uh, your job. <laughs> uh, it's really awesome. Uh, spacey uh, planet art. Then we get uh, a bit of political discussion with Leia. Hold on. Ryan has a yes. question. Um, you open up on a page. We've got the introduction of, as I wrote them in my notes, Eyepatch and Fancy Queen. <laughs> uh, because Eyepatch is this awesome dude, this big, Commander scary Kanchar. Look. Yeah, he's this uh, Imperial officer, mm-hmm. but he's got an eye patch and a giant robot arm. And then the Fancy Queen is actually a queen. She was from the, the Darth, Vader Darth Vader series, series mm-hmm. yep. uh, which was a really cool show. Show sh- to run. Show to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, the planet, there was a really cool story that uh, just... If you haven't read the Darth Vader series by Kieran and Salva and that team, please read it. It's cool to see those threads picked up and mixed in with the threads from the films, too. Yep. Yeah. C- Commander Kanchar giving off a real cable vibe. Sure. Got the fake arm. He's got the one eye. Yeah. He's a big, space cable. dude. Space cable. All right. He shall henceforth be named Space, Cam- space Cable. He is looking to mine the kyber crystals uh, off of the remains of Jeddah, which power the laser technology in all of... Uh, the Star Wars universe, the, our heroes are looking to stop that from happening, and then they meet up with a very interesting uh, good-slash-bad-guy, maybe, from Rogue One. Uh, and it's uh, it's a character that I think a lot of Star Wars fans were really excited to, to, to learn more about. Yeah, it's really neat. Unbelievable Gwenpool, number 22, written by Christopher Hastings, art by Irene Strzokowski, uh, Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg continues Gwen's quest with Vincent the Doombot to find Dr. Doom so she can take him down and show what an awesome hero she is. Uh, Vincent takes her to this like Doom lair that has all sorts of Doom photos and Doom, doom statues. Just lots of Doom. Doom snacks. Um, doom himself shows up in holographic form as infamous Iron Man and basically says, uh, I don't know why you're hunting me. I'm a good guy now. And Gwen says, no, there's no way. I've read hundreds of comics with you as a bad guy. I haven't read too many comics with you as a good guy. This can't possibly be true. Gwen starts using her powers again, which are trippy and crazy and all over the place. And then we have a nice thing between um, – Vincent and uh, Dr. Doom as well. well it's so an interesting thing. It was really cool. I like that because Vincent does like is not hip to what no. Dr. Doom is all about. And not Doom's like, least. sorry. No. You know, you're, and, you're different. And then Gwen gets a big sword and she tries to cut Doom in half. And what she ends up doing is unleashing the nasty green hooded old school Dr. Doom who she wanted to avoid. Uh, <laughs> He's wearing a skirt. Yeah, uh, it's got a skirt. Look out. Stars and Garters. Oh, my. It's the name of the title 
That is the name. Title of the story of Uncanny Avengers. Number 29, uh, written by... uh, Jim Zub. Jim Zub, art by Sean Izakse and Juan Ramirez, colors by Tom Tom Rabon Villan. We start with the the empowered being of the crimson gem of Cytorak himself, uh, uh, Juggernaut, Juggernaut, who... Yeah, sorry, Tucker. No, no, who is in constraints and uh, being flown... Uh, by uh, an Avenger squad to, uh... <laughs> to you're, you're flipping past because I really want to ask a question yeah. here before we go on. Ben, there's yes. a guy here in green suit. Yep. Who's that guy? Guardsman. Thank you. Well, I wrote in my notes here, uh, dude in green? Question mark. Yep. Because I recognized him, but I needed to know. He's a guardsman. He's a guardsman. Yep. Guardsman. Okay. There you go. You get your guardsman cameo in there. Uh, and then uh, we st- we get a flash of Doctor Voodoo. He's back, voodooing things all over the place again. Uh, and he summons Juggernaut out of his constraints and transports by him by accident. Yes, by accident, not intentional. Um, Whoopee! <laughs> uh, where he then lands in amongst the Avengers, and then stuff goes down. There's a ton of fighting. Uh, there's some really interesting stuff with Quicksilver. Who the Quicksilver stuff? In this issue, breaks my heart. Yeah, he, I wrote. Yeah, what'd you write? Quick, sad. <laughs> Super sad. He's he's uh, he's trying to get to the bone zone number one with Synapse. Mm-hmm. So he thinks the way to impress Synapse is he's just going to run her up to Juggernaut. He's going to steal Juggernaut's helmet, and then she can use her psycho psycho telepathic whatever powers um, to try to take him down through the mind. But Juggernaut's got a second helmet on which was kind of a cheat. Um, <laughs> and so then Synapse is within his punching distance and she just gets wrecked and she is in rough shape and it is all Quicksilver's fault. Uh, the Avengers end up at the hospital trying to look after their friend. Uh, Pietro gets a real talking to from the group uh, and kind of put in his place and he ends up really upset about it. Uh, and then we just end on a really uh, ominous, sad, worrying, who knows, note of uh, of synapse in a hospital bed. Yes. All right. We've got Venom number one fifty seven, uh, written by Mike Costa, art by Mark Bagley. Oh, so good, Mark Bagley. John Dell, Scott Hanna, Dono Sanchez Almada. Mark Bagley just elevates anything he's involved with. Yeah, he is. This is uh, no exception. He is one of the best at what he does, and yep. what he does is draw comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got an opening splash. Mayor Kingpin, I was like, whoa, just this cool page. And we get to see, like, the repercussions of that story being felt across other books. But Eddie Brock is, uh, he got his butt kicked uh, recently, and he is trying to figure it out. He's getting healed up. But Craven the Hunter is going after the dinosaur people under New York City, but he's also going to be going after Venom. That's his real kill. Uh, we've got him dealing with that. There's co- some cool threads that they're following up on with the uh, the, the no good Nick who had the Venom symbiote for a little while right. beforehand. Lee. Yeah. We see the return of Shriek. You, lo- you got excited about this. You better believe I, I did. saw that in your notes. Yeah. Shriek. She's here. She's got cool powers. She was in the bone zone with Carnage many years Heavily ago. Heavily in the bone zone. Yeah. Uh, but now she's just, Deep you know. in the bone zone. She's looking to get paid and use her sonic powers to take down Venom. Uh, but, of course, she messes things up. Things go crazy. New York City's a mess. Craven is angry. Uh, the dinosaur people are upset. And Venom is super duper hurt. <laughs> what a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> 
What, what a time to be alive. Yes. Uh, Vision, director's cut number six, written by Tom King, art by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, colors by Jordi Valer. This is reprinting the final two chapters of our great Vision series, 11 and 12, which finds the ultimate tragic fate of the Vision family. This is a book well worth revisiting. Uh, we've got all sorts of back matter, all sorts of sketches, letters, letters, pages, scripts, anything you could possibly want to celebrate Vision, which was just such an amazing book, and I wish Tom King hadn't left comics after finishing it. I know. What a loss. Finishing up this week is X-Men Gold, number 15. It's part five of the Mojo, Mojo Worldwide uh, storyline, written by Mark Guggenheim, pencils by Diego Bernard, inks uh, by J.P. Meyer, colors by Rain Barreto. Uh, and we have this dual experience to start off where there are some X-Men who are in the real world and have been revealed to uh, by Mojo that there that he has taken over the real world instead of just making one of his regular simulations. Mm-hmm. And then there's another squad who is still in another simulation, the Mutant Massacre simulation to be exact. Eventually, they both combine into the real world. They bust into Mojo's lair and they find his TV screens and, well, let me just say he has a real nice setup, Mm. first of all. Uh, And uh, they, uh, uh, then Jean Grey destroys them uh, and then they get a whole new crew of villains and monsters and aliens and a ton of laughing mojo to take on and that will be concluded in X-Men Blue number 15. I really like this crossover. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Very old school. Old school. I Mm -hmm. like it. Uh, Old school is cool. uh, As we mentioned last week, Thor versus Hulk uh, number five came out. Uh, I have read it. It's written by Jeremy Whitley, art by Simone Buonfantino and Irma Nivila. And um, it's great. It's got uh, Thor and Hulk on uh, one last sort of uh, trial for the promoter to see who will face champion of the universe. Uh, it's them helping out people on uh, this planet Earth, or not planet Earth, uh, this, this planet, this alien planet, and they're trying to stop this dude from using this crazy, crazy powerful weapon. Um, uh, there's a really funny moment where Banner, well, actually is someone about a black hole, which is really <laughs> funny. And then I learned some stuff about a black hole I didn't know about. You go. So not too proud. That's always good. Uh, it's just it's a fun story with great hero moments uh, and beautiful art. So you should really be checking it out if you have uh, if you read comics digitally. Sure. Collections on sale in print this week. We have Black Panther Book Four, Avengers of the New World Part One, Edge of Venomverse, Marvel Masterworks The Incredible Hulk Volume Eleven in hardcover, Runaways Volume Seven Live Fast, Spider Man Miles Morales Volume Three, Star Wars Darth Maul Son of Dathomir. Star Wars, The Force Awakens Adaptation, and Zombies Assemble Volume 1 Manga. Yeah, it's a little manga version of the first one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, On sale on the Marvel app this week, we have Clandestine 1 through 5 from 2008. Peter Parker, Spider-Man from the uh, late 90s, issues 7 through 10 and number 12. X-Men, The Hidden Years, issues 13 through 22. Captain America and the Korvac Saga, issues 1 through 4. Uh, digital collections on sale include Kazar Masterworks Volume 1, Sergeant Fury Masterworks Volume 2, Spider-Man The Next Chapter Volume 2, Spider-Man World's Greatest Hero, and X-Men The Hidden Years Volume 2. Freshly digitized comics on Marvel Unlimited this week are uh, 
All New Guardians of the Galaxy number one, Black Bolt number one, Bullseye number four, Cable number one, and number 50 through 58. Champions number eight, Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 79 through 90, Do- Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout number one, Guardians of the Galaxy Mother Entropy number one, Hawkeye number six, Iron Fist number three, Jean Grey number one, Marvel Universe Avengers Ultron Revolution number 10, Miss Marvel 2 through 22, Nova number six, Poe Dameron number 14, Secret Empire number one, Spider Gwen number 19, Spider Man number 16, Spider Man 2099 number 23, Spider Man Deadpool number 17, Star Wars Rogue one adaptation number two the unstoppable wasp number five and x-men gold number three Ooh, doggy so many dogs little let's, puppers and doggos uh, let's roll the dice and see what we get next for news and now from marvel headquarters it's this week in marvel news all right ben morse back here with jake thomas oh and mark basso hello and we are talking a little bit more Moon Knight. We talked a lot about Moon Knight in our uh, picks of the week. Hooray! Moon Knight was my pick of the week. As it should be. As it should be. Now, Jake, you've got a little bit of history with the character. You edited the Jeff Lemire run on Moon Knight. Yes. What is it to you that makes a good Moon Knight series, and how did you recruit this current creative team? Uh, what makes a good Moon Knight series, I think, is... Uh, um one of the fun things about Moon Knight is uh, never being able to really have solid footing, mm-hmm. I think, is, is uh, something that I really like as a reader or a viewer. Um, just always being surprised and never really knowing where you are sometimes uh, uh, can be a very exciting experience. Right. And I think that's a great thing for Moon Knight one of his strengths and that's not just because he's uh, mentally unstable so he's got his multiple personalities and stuff which allows reality to shift a lot which is what happened in Jeff's run Um, but I think he's also a character that um, just sort of has that instability sort of built into who he is and uh, the kinds of bad guys that he faces and everything and sort of a a typical Moon Knight story I think um, involves things not really being what they first appeared to be either through piercing a reality or you know even in his sort of more detective-y uh, aspect mm-hmm. uh, that there, there's a very old school noir vibe to him mm-hmm. where you know he's he's investigating he's looking into these things and, and they're never exactly what they appear to be mm-hmm. so I think that's a, that's what makes a really great story is yeah. sussing it all out you know Mark what to you stands out about Moon Knight what makes him a unique sort of hero for the Marvel Universe well I mean his whole backstory is, is really nothing like anyone else and his whole uh, deal I guess with his multiple personalities really puts him on a different playing field. Um, I think what's cool about this series is we, we see that visually in a different way than we have before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way Max plotted it out and actually, you know, the way Jason is illustrating it, we're kind of getting a new take on how we see those multiple personalities play out uh, both within his head and kind of in the real world. Um, so I think that's that's really the, the just multifaceted personality of Moon Knight is just so different. You mentioned Max Bemis and Jason Burroughs, the new creative team, the new writer and artist on Moon Knight. Jake, how did these guys get recruited to be the new creative team? Like, what did they bring to the table that you knew was going to be beneficial to Moon Knight? Well, I mean, it, it was a 
tough act to follow, Jeff's sure, run. Sure. I mean, that, Jeff Lemire's uh, run is great. Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood run yeah. is, oh, is Smallwood one well. of the better runs we've had recently, I think. Yeah. And so, uh, Best edited of all. I, undoubtedly, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Um, so whoever we were going to get had to be somebody uh, that was going to bring something really different and unusual to it. And um, I love Max's stuff that he's done with us. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Fool Killer. Fool Killer was awesome. Yeah, that was extremely cool. great Fool book. Um, but then he also did Worst X-Men Ever, yeah. which I really loved. Okay. You know, I remember That was a book that I loved so much that I would walk down to uh, Jordan White's office. He edited that wow, book and just tell him, like, this book. Was, yeah, it was so good. Paying compliments actually, to Jordan. I would actually not... talk to Jordan White, which is a big deal. That's a huge deal. Um, yep. And so I... Um, I just, I loved that book, and you know that's another thing that on a on a really great Moon Knight book, uh, you can get all of the crazy reality shifting, but you also can get a lot of great pathos. He's a character who was born out of tragedy, like a lot of our great heroes are. Mm-hmm. Um, but his tragedy, you know, a lot of times it's it's a, a tragedy that affects somebody else, like you know Uncle Ben dies, or you know. Uh, uh, these characters sort of experience a, a, a loss that makes them feel like they need to step up and, right, and do better, right. whatever. Um, and I think Moon Knight's interesting because the real tragedy there is this man realizing that his life wasn't great. Right. You know? Right. Uh, for oh, those who don't unique. know, he was a mercenary um, and he was on a, like a merc job out in the desert uh, that went wrong, yeah. and he got uh, shot, and he was dying in the desert. Got shot for doing the right thing. Yes, worth noting. Yes, uh, one of the rare instances where he did. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and um, he, he, uh, depending on which origin story you're reading, he crawled or was dragged to <laughs> uh, a statue of Khonshu, uh, the Egyptian god of the moon, uh, who made him his aspect on Earth. Um, and what I think is also really interesting is the, the the sort of mission that was given to him was to protect the travelers of the night. And as a mercenary, he was somebody who was paid to hunt people down. He mm-hmm. was he was you know a predator, and now it is his mission to sort of go out there and stop predators, which I think is is pretty cool. And so uh, Max is a guy who can really tap into both the like crazy action and wild humor that uh, you can really get out of a Moon Knight story, uh, but he also really knows how to dig into the characters really well um, and get at some of that sadness and that hurt that these guys carry with them um, that I, I think is really cool. And that was something that Jeff played around with in his one a little bit, that these multiple personalities have been with uh, Mark since childhood because of a little bit of trauma or, or a little bit of uh, discomfort there. Like, he mm-hmm. built these characters um to sort of help himself deal a mm-hmm. little bit, to be friends to him because he was uh, uh, occasionally in some bad places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, uh, Max is just great at, yeah. at finding the drama there. Yeah. Max is still a relatively new writer to comics. How, how is he fitting in, Mark? How are you uh, finding him as far as, like, does he need extra guidance or is he just a natural? I mean, from what I've seen, he's pretty much a natural. Yeah. I mean, his scripts come in really strong from the start, and he's he's a great collaborator. So as we're all you know, trying to build this great Moon Knight story, you know, he's always got that in mind. So you know, any kind of notes or anything, it's all it's all taken you know very well, and he's a complete pro about right. turning around these stories in, in the great fashion that he does. Right. The hardest thing about working with Max Bemis, okay, 
is that he is a vampire. Oh, yeah. They're difficult uh, to vampire work with. Vampire rock star. Notoriously difficult yeah. to work with. He is a vampire rock star. He literally sleeps during the day oh, wow. and is awake at night. Yeah. So if I need to talk to him during the day, I either have to get him by like 9.30 a.m., or I can't talk to him until like 6.30 p.m. Wow. Like he's, he's asleep. He's in the coffin. Yeah, exactly. He's underground. Yeah. He's in the, in the soil of his native land. Um, so that's been interesting because, you know, he, he's the lead singer of Say Anything. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so he definitely like ha- lives that rock star lifestyle. Uh, but actually not really. What's funny is he's, he's got uh, he's a family man. Mm-hmm. He's got some some adorable children. Mm. Uh, he's very much a dad, but he is a dad who a sort of is dad. there when they wake <laughs> up and yeah. is like, hey, kids, and does stuff with them. And then it's like, all right, dad's going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and he wakes That's up awesome. later and plays with them then. So uh, it's it's really fun to talk to him because yeah. he has a, a, a very unusual life <laughs> so so that's max what about jason how did jason come to the book how did you guys select him to be the artist on this run well i've loved jason's stuff for a long time he's great because i'm a big horror nut yeah. and uh, uh jason just draws great horror books mm-hmm. uh and that's sort of been his bread and butter for years you know so i'd read a bunch of his stuff at avatar uh and and really really loved it and um Around the time that he was wrapping things up on Providence, uh, I, I believe he reached out to Axel Alonso um, and sort of let him know, like, hey, a lot of my obligations are coming free. I'd be interested in doing something with you guys yeah. if you were interested. Yeah. Um, and that was right around the time where we were putting the Moon Knight pitch together, uh, and it just seemed obvious. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, uh, it, it was fortuitous. It was uh, it was Kanchu looking out for us, <laughs> and um, so yeah, it, it, it was just a slow pitch down the middle. We right. went to him and we said, you know, we've got this Bemis pitch, and we let him know the very bare bones because it was early, early days, uh, and he seemed right there, ready for it. And the stuff that he's turned in, I think, uh, has been amazing. Like right. it's, a, it's everything we wanted it to be and more. So probably the most, dare I say, daring aspect of this first issue of Moon Knight in Marvel Legacy is there is no Moon Knight in the entire issue. He is felt, his presence is felt, but he does not physically appear. Talk to me a little bit about that, Mark. How uh, how he's loom- Mark Spector's looming over this book, but he's not actually showing up on the page. I thought it was cool as hell. And oh, yeah. And ho- hopefully everyone agrees. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we talked about that, you know, at length, Jake and I and everybody. And be like, oh, is this, is this you know, a weird move? But it's really, it, it serves the story. It's not mm-hmm. done, you know, for, for, for randomness or anything like that. Um, the thing about this legacy story is we, we are pulling a lot of stuff from Mark Spector's past mm-hmm. and also seeing how his legacy, uh, you know, impacts the world around him. So what this first issue is doing is really setting up the... Uh, the first step of that, um, you know, we're seeing basically what uh, Moon Knight's story, what his own experience has been, kind of transferring to another person, how they're interpreting it, applying right. it to their own lives. Um, so it's his his presence is not only felt as uh, you know as the hero that we're going to get to in, in the next issue, but as how he's actually kind of forming this new character. Right. Let's talk about the new character a bit. The uh so-called Sun King. Mm-hmm. Where did the uh, concept for this guy come from? He's, he's creepy as all get out. Yeah. Well, uh, this was a, a conversation we had with Max when we were first putting this together. Um, one of the main uh, uh, sort of goals we had going into this was let's give Moon Knight a great villain. Um, you know, he'd had some great villains in the past, 
Um, but nobody who we felt as we were looking for like who we could bring back or, right. or what we could do, you know, it, for this legacy arc that would really be a, a huge standout thing. Um, there wasn't anybody that really grabbed us. So we said, you know, let, let's let's make somebody new. And um, Max got really excited about that, and he uh, uh, came up with a number of villains. Actually, he he sort of went in, and and we talked about what makes a good villain. You know, that idea that they should come out of the same sort of kiln that birthed the hero, mm. but just they they've come out wrong somehow. You know, mm. um, and so uh, he he ran with that, and he went, and he he made this list of villains, and they're all. Great. One of them uh, will show up in issue number two, right. actually, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, and so we looked at that list and we sort of were like, okay, well, these are all good and maybe we can do this story here and this story here. But uh, Sun King was obviously the one. Like mm. It was like, oh, okay, this is, this is the primary villain. Because mm. um, it, it's, it's that perfect diametric opposite. Um, and uh, Max is also just an incredibly smart guy who loves to jump into research and, and, and really work his way through things mentally. And so when uh, he was doing this, you know, he did a lot of research into not just the Egyptian pantheon of gods, but also the uh, uh, sort of postmodern metaphysical breakdown of what those gods really mean, like mm -hmm. what their representation is, what they psychologically stand for, represent, how those uh, uh, interpretations changed over the years and everything. And like all of that's in the book. Mm. Um, not just through people talking, but <laughs> like it's actually there like in the action, which is pretty cool. Uh, he's turning all of this crazy thought into some really, really wild set pieces and stuff that, nice. that is going to be pretty cool. It's crazy for me that I read the first issue of Moon Knight, loved it, and I still have no idea how Max is going to write Moon Knight because he hasn't yet. He hasn't, he hasn't had a bit of dialogue. He hasn't shown up at all. Um, maybe you guys can give us a little preview. What is Max's Moon Knight like in comparison to some other ones we've seen recently? Uh, one of the things that Max was really intent on doing is making him funny. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> he came in and he was like I, I want him to be just a, a hardcore badass uh, but also like kind of a Borscht Belt comedian <laughs> like, uh, because uh, you know um, uh, Mark Spector is, is one of our uh, Jewish characters yep. actually and Max is also Jewish yep. and so he he's put a lot of himself into this character hmm. um, uh, because Max also has suffered through some mental health issues which mm -hmm. he talks about in the letter at the back of the book and everything and, and so it's a very personal thing for him but he didn't want to just have it be personal in this way that like I'm going to rip open my soul and mm. expose it to whatever uh, Max is a funny guy yeah right <laughs> and he there's the Jewish tradition that he feels close to of, of uh, even in or maybe particularly in times of pain finding humor and, and uh, uh, sort of a, a, a levity within that mm -hmm. uh, and so Mark has that that, that is actually really interesting. Um, and the way the um, characters all interact with each other is uh, uh, he's really bringing out some fun bits that are also, again, incredibly full of pathos. Um, there's a reveal that happens uh, in issue number three that I am like itching mm. for readers to find. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, there is something absolutely bananas in every issue. Nice. And that's something that Max really set out to nice. do. He's like, look, there's something in every issue that people are gonna go, 
holy crap, mm-hmm. that's out of control. And he's pulling it out. I mean, like every issue, we get a script in, and there's there's at least one page where you get there, and you're like, well, okay, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what they think about this. Um, but so uh, uh, he's got that humor and that pathos, but he's also um, what's kind of interesting is is. Again, Max is somebody who's who's dealt with some of these issues before. Wanted uh, Mark to still be struggling, mm-hmm. um, but not be lost. Mm. You know that idea that like these things that he's suffering with uh, and working through are also things that he lives with mm-hmm. in a good in a good way, in a functional way. He is a man who has uh, uh, managed to work through some of these incredibly difficult experiences and and uh, brain chemistry mm-hmm. uh, and he's come to a point now where there are still problems uh, mm-hmm. there are things that uh, particularly may have happened in the past mm-hmm. before he's gotten to this place that are going to come back uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and affect him um, but where he is right now he's he's trying to make it work mm-hmm. um, he's kind of systematic right yeah. he, he's got a systematic kind of approach to his personalities which mm-hmm. you know may keep them in order may not exactly but there's there's an approach there you know yeah. he's there's thinks no he's perfect work system now. exactly yeah. <laughs> all right guys to kind of close things out um obviously first issue of moon that was great um second issue looks like it's going to be great too what can we look forward to coming up in this book uh just uh uh I mean, more more crazy action. You're going to see Moon Knight in action, and it's going to be some. You know, we have pages of actual fight scenes with Moon Knight. Again, mm. not seen in 188, yeah, but, that, yeah. but do not worry. They are yeah, yeah. they are chock a block. So through, Moon Knight uh, will be in this. Oh, book. oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagine. I'm going to read the second issue. He still doesn't show up. The last <laughs> like, Those guys. No, nope, no, nope, he's right there. Uh, but I, I, I think that idea of just something that's really trippy. And funny and strange and beautiful. Um, it, it's a book that he is actively trying to make not like anything else on the stands, uh, and I think he's succeeding wildly. Very cool. Well, thanks for joining us, guys, and uh, go pick up Moon Knight. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for having, thanks us. having us. This week in Marvel, this is Assistant Editor Christine Din, joined by... Editor Goldman. And we're here. Um, we ha- we're going to run through some just quick beats since we had a relatively light week, and then we're going to kick it over to an interview with our special guest. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, we had a light week, although uh, today we had fun buying a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking advantage of those Disney perks, and then um, Eric and I are going to end up watching Coco after this. That's right. It's a very Disney day for us. But it was also uh, a very uh, posterific week. Is that a good word? Yeah. Uh, I'll make it out. We had character debut posters for the cast of uh, Marvel Studios Black Panther, and we had all of our talent, you know, share off their poster, so there was... Um, you know, Chadwick Boseman, mm-hmm. um, Angela Bassett, there was Forrest Whitaker, yep. 
Um, There's the Andy Anthony Circus, Circus one. Yeah. And then we had like Lupita and mm-hmm. Danae. Um, all those posters are glorious. Um, so we hope you guys check them out. Yeah, I really dig like the costume design and the look of Black Panther. So these posters are really cool as far as just spotlighting how great everyone looks yeah. in that movie. So. And um, like a really cool thing is like I made this whole analogy of Black Panther to the Hunger Games because, you know, each district, so there's different <laughs> tribes in Black Panther and they all represent something and you can really see it just to, even between, you know, the Dormalage where um, Lupita's character and Denai's character, you can just see how they represent their culture and their yeah. own, you know, warrior gear and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, because I was always like a kid who was, you know, way into like the making of movies and reading about stuff so you know i always liked when i read stuff or see like dvd extras about costume design Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's like it's one of those things where i think people it's easy for them not to think about too much but like people put like so much thought into it and like the colors people wear and like what that represents and like the meaning behind it and i don't know it's 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 really cool if you start to immerse yourself in in the work that those people do i know and i'm like totally blanking because i don't remember the costume designers for this Black Panther, but she had worked with Ryan Coogler before in yeah. two other films. Um, and did she work on Creed? I love Creed. Yes, and then she yeah. also did the one, the fruit fruitful station. Yes. Yeah. So um, when we were on the set visit, she showed us like her uh, sketchbook, but she was only she was only sharing with us the ones that didn't make it complete. Uh, uh-huh. But then when. <laughs> the publicist almost actually flipped to the actual one. They like the publicist like dove right over this, so she's like, "No, you can't show these yet." Um, but uh, yeah, we definitely hope you guys check it out. And you know, of course, in theaters February sixteenth next year. Yes. So I think we officially passed the hundred day mark from a uh, hundred days out. Yeah, it was really cool. I went to um, see Thor opening night um, at the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood and they showed the Black Panther trailer and that was the first time I'd seen the new one in, in big the screen. theater. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. And everyone like people were so psyched and the crowd was all hyped up and applauding. So I know. I already like so I watched Thor Ragnarok again watching the second time totally solidifies that Thor Ragnarok is in my top five Marvel films. Yeah. But I already am calling it that Black Panther is maybe my number one spot. Ooh, whoa. Yes. <laughs> Bold move. <laughs> it's just like the look, the feel, the cast. I'm yeah. just like, there's just so much energy around this film. Yeah, yeah. No, it yeah. looks really cool. And I, that, that was cool thing about seeing that trailer was, A, it's a great trailer, but B, mm-hmm. that, yeah, you kind of felt like the excitement people have for this movie, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it has such a great vibe in that, pre- both the trailers they yeah. put out, so. And we, like, we're in the Dolby Atmosound 4D theater, Yeah. so, like, every time the car chased, I was like, oh my god, I have to watch the movie in this theater, <laughs> just to, like, get the full effect and everything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> get the rumbles around you. Yes. And then, uh, speaking of, you know, of course, Thor Ragnarok, we're now in the second week yeah. of it in theaters, number Doing one. pretty well. You know, number one movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, tweet at us, like, what your thoughts are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's It's such a really fun audience movie. Um, except for the third time uh, a couple <laughs> nights ago. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine, and it's just like, when it ended, she goes, that was delightful. And I go, wasn't it? it? You know? And just like, man, Taika's humor just really extends. And yeah. like, when you all see, like, how, you know, it really captures... The Kiwi humor yeah. and, you know, like, Maori tribes and everything. And especially this film has so much Australian like, and New Zealand influences from, like, just the casting mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. Yeah, it has that, that, that does definitely has that sense of humor. 
Uh, yeah, Taika, I believe, didn't he direct some uh, Conqueror's episodes? I think yes. Yeah, worked, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just like that sort of vibe and feel to it. Uh, I keep using the word vibe today. It's my word of the day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it does. It, it feels really distinct. And, you know, not that other uh, Marvel movies didn't, haven't had a sense of humor because there's been a lot of great mm-hmm. sense of humor. But it's like this one just feels very fresh and different. Yes, and, he's uh, like the first... Um, non-American director we've had. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's it's a really cool sensibility. I hope uh, I know they've talked about how they'd, you know, love to have him do. I think <laughs> Kevin Feige said he'd love to have him work again with Marvel, and I hope that happens. Me too. Yeah, there could be some good stuff. And then uh, we had uh, one other uh, poster debut, uh, another look at Marvel's Runaways, uh, which is it was a, it's a cool look at kind of all six of the team members. Uh, you kind of get a little. Uh, hints of their abilities yeah it's definitely uh, them as a unit yeah and oh man i can't wait for you guys it's like we're now what a week and a half out yeah we're super close and and yeah you'll see if you look at this poster it's like yeah like they're all lined up and, and gert's there and you might not see uh, a certain buddy of gert you'll see a little <laughs> hint <laughs> okay, there might be a tail sneaking into that poster <laughs> yeah so definitely all of that and um yeah and now we're gonna kick it over to an interview with our special guest. Very special guest. <laughs> very, very special guest. I'm specialer. <laughs> uh, Harrison Wilcox from Marvel Television. And uh, Marty Eisenberg, supervising producer of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, so uh, we are convening to talk about the season two finale of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, airing this weekend on Disney XD on Sunday morning. Yes, it's all coming to an end. <laughs> season two is. Season two, I was going to say. Not everything. It's not all coming to an end. We also have the holiday episode next month as well. That's right. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, we have a dynamic two-parter this weekend. Um, and it really wraps up a lot of what's been happening this whole entire season. Um, yeah, it was a it was a big, long, complicated season that we we put together, and it, it it all ties up with the very thing it started with, which was was that sarcophagus, which had all kinds of interesting stuff in it, um, including the the Nova helmet, um, uh, which led to ultimately led to Warlock, and uh, led to other Nova helmets, and uh, guess what? They all converge. <laughs> In this uh, in this very exciting two part episode, which I'm I'm not sure how much I can say about it. <laughs> well, we do know that uh, this season has been really heavily heavy, leaning heavily on family, and you definitely see all the guardians uh, feeling conflicted feelings about family in this finale. Well, and I think what was great about bringing a, a new character into the fold, in, into the team, into the family for a period is it really did open that up. Um, first of all, from the Guardian's point of view of, of welcoming a new family member into, into that core group. And um, because of Warlock's inability to kind of see into their souls and potentially open up a few wounds from, from their own past, but also help them heal them. Uh, I think what we, uh, in that whole arc of stories, managed to create a really strong bond between um, the, the Guardians and, and Warlock, and it, and it comes to a, a very dramatic conclusion, which I, I will say no more. <laughs> well, yeah, because going into the finale, you know, Warlock, I mean, he's a character, I think he's, 
He's some. He comes out of cocoon. We know this guy is uh, about evolving and changing, but and was a baby when we first met. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Seems like maybe you know he might not be evolving in great direction as we go into the finale. No, he's definitely been been uh, influenced by some ne'er do wells <laughs> along the way, and uh, Warlock more than anyone is influenced by the personalities and the souls of those he interacts with as we've seen over the course of the season right and 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 most specifically by those that he literally absorbs in into his gem and as we've set up in the previous episodes that can have both a positive and a negative effect on um, on his own persona Um, and people who have read the comics may have some idea of what (laughs) may be coming right right is that always fun for you? I mean, like, you know, because there are definitely, as someone who's been reading Marvel comics as long as I can remember, I know I always get that moment of, oh, they're doing, they're going down that road, <laughs> you know? So is that great for you guys when you're coming up with these stories to go, oh, this season, maybe we can open this door? It, it was it was a big, because we talked about it briefly, uh, about bringing him in in, in season one. And, and I had no idea who it was. <laughs> I, uh, Marty educated me. I had to look it up. Um, and, and it was a big ask. And I, and I looked at it and said, I, that's such a huge story. And it feels like that's a season. Um, and it became a season. Uh, I, I think the, the biggest challenge, uh, because so much of that, the, you know, the original Starlin comics from the 70s is very uh, out there and, yeah. and esoteric. And, and, and what was tr- I was trying to do is really define it and 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 make it very concrete um, rather than dealing with a whole you know time travel aspect of it it's just simply he literally absorbs people into his gem trying to rid the galaxy of evil uh, but then it starts to backfire on him as all the evil that accumulates in that gem starts to have an effect on him and that seems like that's a really simple concept you can get across to to an audience and particularly a, a kid audience mm-hmm. um, so that made the made him doable as a character mm-hmm. you know uh, the the cosmic stuff in Marvel in general you know it has a deep history as you're talking about are there elements you know that you're still sort of excited that maybe you can introduce down the line or you might not be able to name them but when you delve into like those 70 Starlin stories do you think oh like that would be cool to, to hit upon at some point well, I think that probably the biggest influence on the series, which was also the biggest influence on the features, was the Abnett and Lanning run yeah. mm-hmm. from the early 2000s. Um, and every time we go back to that well and we see what characters were used um, in, in that run that we haven't used yet in, in the show. And I think by the time we get to the end of season three, we will have used most of them, mm-hmm. if that's enough of a hint. <laughs> it's a good hint bit of a, a tangent but we did also sort of take a page from what they're doing a little bit in the features with how there are sort of tonal similarities between the Guardians movies and now the new Thor Ragnarok movie yeah mm-hmm. and playing with those two franchises uh, is something we can we can and we have done a lot of uh, in the upcoming season and we have done it in the past as well so that's something we're really looking forward to is having the, the Asgardian characters and the Guardians characters uh in the same sandbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of fun because I, I love all the, uh, particularly the, the Jack Kirby issues of you know of Thor in space yeah. and all the, yeah. the cosmic Thor stories, and it just is such a natural fit to to get that. Um, you can't. It, I think it's harder to do in an event in Avengers 
Whereas in, in Guardians, you can kind of go the full cosmic Thor, and uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I know we already announced like the title for the third season of Guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much do you borrow and like coincide with the um, Disneyland attraction? Uh, how much can we say? <laughs> well, the uh, first episode of the show, uh, the, uh, it, it very, is very similar to the ride. The Guardians get locked up by the collector, mm-hmm. and Rocket has to break everybody out. It's a real shortage of shenanigans. <laughs> and, and the collector does become a, kind of an uber villain throughout the, the season. As he's not always a physical presence, but it seems like that he, he is responsible for a lot of the highs and lows of, mm-hmm. of the Guardians as they, as they travel through, particularly the first part of season three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really becomes their nemesis, and, and uh, we have a lot of fun with him. And we got to have Stanley as our elevator operator. Yes, we did. Yes, yes we did. That was a delight to have him in. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the season two finale is one of those storylines where a ton of characters are involved and, you know, having gotten to visit some voice records here, I know those are a lot of fun. Is it both fun and a kind of crazy day when you bring in, like, just a mob of people to record some of these big scenes? Yeah, we have, a, you know, a full booth. And I, I think I asked our voice director, Lisa Schaefer, recently if she'd ever had that many people in the booth before. And I think we broke her record. <laughs> <laughs> It is a it is a big finale. We have giant sized Jonathan Frakes in the episode. <laughs> His character Jason gets turned uh, into a giant sized version that is the size of a building. I think I had an issue of that comic. Giant, giant sized <laughs> yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes. Frakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, someone's someone's gonna die. Someone's gonna die in the finale. Mm. They're not coming back. So won't mm. say who. Hmm. Well, but it's it's. It's Marvel, so <laughs> come on, really? They're not coming back until maybe the holiday special, but they're not coming back. <laughs> or if we come up with a really good story and right. want to bring it We'll have to grieve for at least a few weeks is what you're saying. That's exactly. right. Well, it, it was a very emotional finale, especially because, you know, a lot of people are facing a lot of these, like, internal fears that they have and they never really wanted to voice, like... Did you tap into your own familial experiences for this? Well, that, that was kind of part of, the, you know, the, to separate the two parts, they are kind of two separate stories. And the, the first part is, is very explosive, and right. it's, it's, you know, lots of property damage. And, and the second part really gets very personal. Um, and so it's sort of like part one goes wide and part two goes deep. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and I think it, it helps distinguish them and, and um, doesn't give them quite so much of a life support system and they, they, they do kind of um, uh, survive individually as, a, as episodes as well as a, as a bigger story. There, there was that one story earlier on this season, the Drax story, that you definitely uh, related to with Drax and his... Uh, oh, oh, because he was dealing with teenage daughters. Yes. Already <laughs> <laughs> has daughters. two daughters at home. Well, one now in college. Well, and it was also the, the, the writer who wrote the script, Andrew Robinson, also has a teenage daughter. So yeah. I knew he would totally get it, and, and he nailed it. it. It is one of my favorite episodes. How do you guys approach, you know, writing this show? Uh, is it sort of what we... Is, is it very similar or not similar to how we picture a live-action show as far as, like, a writer's room is concerned? And coming up with them sort of overall ideas and then you kind of split off to write scripts or how does it work? Well, it is and it isn't. Um, because of the way that things are set up at Marvel Animation, we don't have a staff of, of, uh, of writers who are, who are there on staff. Even I'm not 
technically on staff. I work from my home. But what we do do um, to make up for that is we have periodic story summits. Mm -hmm. Every four to six weeks or so, we convene with uh, myself and Harrison and uh, some of the other Marvel executives and um, most of the freelancers that we plan to have write those episodes. And um, we'll work out those stories beat by beat over two long, painful days. Uh, but what's great is, is we end up with stories that everybody is on board with. Right. And there's no surprises for the executives right. when, when they see the, you know, the next steps of the beat sheets and the outlines. And they're like, yeah, that's what we talked about in the room. All right, very good. Go ahead. Who writes the songs for these episodes? Who writes the songs? Yeah, because I think... Well, there's some there's some original. Like you pull from titles of yeah. Classic Most songs, of it is source right. music. There's three yeah. versions. There's we have the the classic music. Mm -hmm. Then there's stuff our composer does, right. and then there's songs that we use from Kirby Crackle. Okay. Yeah. So I noticed that there, um, in the finale, they started singing a song, but I didn't recognize it. But I know that at the beginning of the speech there was song title. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was very deliberate. <laughs> I mean, obviously, music, uh, you know, has become a very integral component with the Guardian. So, for right. you, when you were starting out with the show, it was like, okay, we have to make sure to work this in in some in some notable way. Yeah, and uh, to have a soundtrack, you know, on an animated show yeah. is a real, mm -hmm. real yeah. Pleasure. That was a huge, huge deal. Yeah, uh, very, very exciting. I have my my cassette <laughs> on my shelf there. I've got mine as well. I just opened it recently. I found it. <laughs> Do you have anything to play? You found on? a cassette player. I found a cassette player. Oh. It's the only cassette I still own. Right, right. <laughs> I have a number of cassette players. None of them work. But the comp, yeah, the comic book family was like, "Can I? Should I open this? Like, should I open the? <laughs> right. It's mint in the yeah, box. It's mint right. in the box. I don't know." <laughs> What I should do. My wife is like, you're an idiot. Just open. <laughs> I, I have a whole uh, box filled with 1980s movie soundtracks on cassette, and I have nothing to play them on. It just so you just hum them to yourself. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we did learn a fun fact right before we started recording that part of a fun fact. Yeah. Yeah. About your past. Oh. With X Men. Um, and music. Yeah. Am, I, yes. am I allowed to talk about X Men? Yeah. I, I say yeah. I mean, we're talking um, about. Some classic 90s X-Men action. Yeah, there. yeah. Before this, we were talking about this. And um, yes, I did write some episodes of, uh, of 90s X-Men. Um, and at the time, I was also working for, for Fox Kids, just basically as a receptionist assistant. Um, but I was one of the people who helped pick the theme song. So that earworm that you can't get out of your head. <laughs> I, I, I sat in the director of uh, programming's office and he played me all the, all the other tunes that, mm -hmm. that Saban had submitted. And we decided, yeah, that's probably the best one. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing because it's like uh, on The Gifted, they just had like the gag where his cell phone rings, Eclipse, I think. And it's the 90s X-Men theme. Oh, that's it's like, funny. that is, you know, <laughs> a part of it. it's kind it's, of amazing yeah. for you to think back on what was probably a very innocuous day for you guys listening to these music. And, <laughs> oh, wow, that was, that was a big deal. Uh, yeah, and I may as well put in a plug for the uh, previously on X-Men book mm -hmm. that's coming out, written by my uh, friend and story editor, Eric Leewald. <laughs> that's really cool, though, for you, is it, you know, just, you know, looking back, because, I mean, that show was just celebrating its 25th anniversary, and 
you know, you're, you're getting to still contribute to these uh, animated Marvel stories, obviously different shows, different times, but is it kind of cool to you to see the, the evolution and how things have... Uh, yeah, I've, you know, I've worked for a lot of um, different iterations of Marvel, and, and I'm not just kissing up to my current employers, but this <laughs> has been absolutely the best version um, of Marvel animation that, that I've ever worked for. So you go with Harrison every day. <laughs> In spite of Harrison. <laughs> it, it really has been a, a tremendous experience. Right, right now I am texting the studio because I realized I said giant size Jonathan Frakes when it was actually giant size Warlock, so I'm seeing if they can reanimate. <laughs> so I am actually technically not wrong. When it's <laughs> Just close your eyes for a second yeah. and imagine. Just visualize. That's right. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Jonathan Frakes, another another tidbit is uh, Trevor Duvall, who does the voice of Rocket, does the best Jonathan Frakes impression. Yes, if you see Trevor Duvall at a convention, yes, or at a panel, or just on the street, he lives in he lives in North Hollywood. <laughs> in fact, here's his address. <laughs> He, he, he lives very close to Bang Zoom where we record the show, so you can probably find him if you just hang out in the neighborhood. <laughs> just, just follow him home, stalk him. He doesn't mind. Ask him to do a Jonathan Frakes impression. But can he can he sit down like Jonathan Frakes did on Next Nobody Generation? can do that. Nobody. Nobody. No, only, only Jonathan Frakes. How dare you, sir? <laughs> if people don't know what I'm talking about, go on YouTube and Google like uh, either Frakes or Riker sitting down, and you'll yeah. <laughs> he it. could not sit down in a chair in a normal way. Yeah, but it's but it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. So, um, what has like the writing process been like? Since I know you know like you guys really develop things far out. But like when you go like episode by episode, like what's the process like? Well, once we get out of that summit, yeah. um, so I work with a uh, consulting producer, the wonderful Margaret Scott. Yes, love Margaret. And uh, we all love Margaret. <laughs> um, and um, we more or less split up the. Um, we take what we've written on a whiteboard in uh, in a conference room over the two days, and then we turn them into individual beat sheets that can be anywhere from four to six pages. Um, turn those in, Harrison gives his thoughts and uh, other people, but generally Harrison is the one who, uh, who's responding to them. Uh, from there we go to a uh, more detailed outline, which breaks down every, uh, every scene and uh, um, some sample dialogue in there, and that's usually 10 to 12 pages. Uh, again, another round of notes, and uh, then we go to script. And um, probably about two or three drafts of script before we yeah. go final. It takes about eight to nine weeks, the whole process, from beat sheet through script. Unless Marty really screws up. <laughs> <laughs> or Harrison gets particularly picky with his notes. <laughs> um, but in, in between there, if I'm working with a freelancer, there will be a draft or two that goes back and forth between me and the freelancer um, before I send it off to Harrison because I want the, you know, the, the outline and the the script to be in the best possible shape um, before it, it, it goes to the higher-ups. Mm -hmm. Animation, you know, Christine kind of references, but, you know, it's, 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 you know, a long process, and, you know, here we are with season two wrapping up on air, but you guys are working on season three. Is that always, you know, doing something like this, is it always funny to kind of get your head around where you're at production-wise versus what it is, is airing? It is unbelievably confusing. <laughs> yeah. um, it, 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 at one point or another, I have to balance 78 stories in, wow. in yeah. my head and keep track of them. Yeah, I actually just found, 
I think I don't know if it was season two of Guardians or season three, but like my notes, like one page notes of just like the first time they told me we're doing another season, and I just wrote out all these ideas that Marty and I talked about, mm-hmm. and uh, I found it the other day, and I was like, what? How long have I had this? <laughs> uh, when when the whatever season is when it's all done airing, uh, I'm gonna post it on Twitter. People <laughs> find it interesting. And and yes, I would be lost without those uh, those those season because for for season two and season three, you pretty much mapped it out because I'm still working on the you know the the I'm I'm in the trenches on you know whatever season we're doing and Harrison has enough perspective to say well here's what we could do the next season and um, so thankfully you know he has that headspace that I, I had no room for so. it is a real luxury and treat in any television show to be able to plan out you know your whole season ahead of time. And Marty mm-hmm. and I have been really lucky to be able to do that. And a lot of times you sort of have to shift gears pretty drastically on, on a lot of shows that I've worked on in the past. And so to be able to sort of like submit a document that mm-hmm. says like one through 26, here's the plan and to have our bosses sign off on that. And then we just go for the next year and a half and do that. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty amazing. If you look at those documents, we didn't deviate too much. We can if we want to, and we yeah. do when we need to. But it's rare because we, you know, we have the time. Marvel is smart enough to give us the time to do that. So. Um, and then when you guys get into like the recording side, is the art being done the exact same time that you guys are doing like the voice record? Uh, yeah, they start. They they get the script and they've started preliminary work on it, but they still mm-hmm. leave space for the performance, and okay. so. It's usually uh, maybe a month, just estimate, I'm, I think it's about a month after we record that we see an animatic, maybe a month and a half. Yeah, there are, there are some animated shows where they get all the way to storyboard and then they, um, they have the storyboard as reference for the voice actors so they, they have an idea of what the, uh, the action's going to be. We're just kind of guessing mm-hmm. uh, for the first go-round, but what's nice is once we do get the animatic, we have the opportunity to shift some dialogue around, um, write some new dialogue if necessary, um, and change performance to, uh, to match you know, whatever the action is. Um, so that, that is a tremendous help because you don't always get that step in, uh, in the fast and furious world of, uh, of <laughs> daytime kids animation. Right. And the, you know, the production side, you know, of Eric Radomski and, and Leo Riley, you know, heading up the, you know, they 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 take it to screen. We get it to script. So the, you know they have the hard job, and they put in a you know a lot of time. And and Leo especially has been very collaborative, and we, we do make adjustments to suit what they need to do. So mm-hmm. yeah, one of the hardest things to do in, in writing an animation script is predict how it's going to time out. Um, sometimes you think things are going to go very quickly that are boarded out very differently, mm-hmm. um, and then rather than saying that's not what I wrote, um, the the way we work it is now I look at what they've given me and I say, well, how can I support that with dialogue? Yeah, it's um, always like, okay, we understand there's a reason you made a change, so help us understand what that reason was. About 80% of the time it makes sense and we adjust to the change they made 20% of the time. Well, there's a brand issue or there's a reason why in a further episode down the line we need it to be this mm-hmm. way. Uh, and that's that's in a nutshell what the animatic is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 a really important step because sometimes, as I was saying, things don't time out the way you think they're going to, and they have to cut an entire scene, which may be a story point, 
Um, and there's, you know, there's only 22 minutes you can right. play with. You can kick and scream and say, but we need that scene. <laughs> so that's when you have to find creative solutions and say, okay, well, this line of dialogue that we could put in here will bridge that gap and then the yeah. story will still be clear. And once we get picture back, you know, the final picture back mm -hmm. and production has sort of cut away what doesn't work or does work, we're on a pretty tight schedule. So, you know, we have to play sort of, uh, a little, a little bit of a game of, well, we can add this line to help you justify that cut or that adjustment. Uh, but you know, it's really the production team that has to take what comes back, put it into 22 minutes, and then we have to help them uh, still make it work, sort of the polish at the end of it. Yeah, and we occasionally find ways to cheat dialogue if if a character is is not facing camera. There's no lip flap. Yeah. Um, Star Lord, when he has his mask on, right. you can have him say yes, just yeah. about anything. We yeah. put it sometimes in. if they're far enough in the background, you can't really see lip flap. Yeah. Sometimes, or you just uh, you have to do it. You know, it's an off-screen yeah. line. So yeah. that's um, how you're balancing seventy some episodes at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah, because you're making decisions about episodes that are you know in in rough animation, mm -hmm. while you're conceiving episodes that haven't even made it into the you know into the story summit. Right. While you're editing outlines and and scripts and and yeah, it's uh, how we don't all go insane is uh, a wonder. And we and like we Things have multitasking. We have gotten really good oh. acting facial acting on this show in particular like I know on other shows I've worked on like Ultimate Spider-Man which is near and dear to me we had to move away from having the characters out of their masks more than just a few minutes an episode and it, and it was not necessarily a story choice but it was a production necessity of of the amount of retakes that were coming up because fa making faces act in animation is more work than masks but you know there's a lot of time you know, like, look at the Guardians cast they don't have masks other than Quill and 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 again, he only has that you know yeah a very small percentage of the time. And Eric and Leo did a you know and our other directors and the overseas studio did a great job. And there's some really good acting. And as as we get into season three, like some of the best looking yeah, there's some great acting great and animation out. I've I've seen at the studio. Yeah, and and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of props have to go to the overseas studios because these these are very very complicated. Um, episodes for, as far as animation goes. Um, so last question, um, as we're nearing the finale of season two, what has been both of your favorite moments from season two? Ooh, favorite moments from season two. Well, I just, um, I just happened to watch the, uh, the prank episode uh, on the air. I hadn't seen it completed until yeah. literally today. Um, and I thought that was, it was wonderfully goofy and silly. <laughs> so I, I, I thought that, the, that whole episode, I, I was very uh, very pleased with how that one turned out. Um, certainly, the, uh, the the episode that we were talking about, where uh, um, with Tana, mm -hmm. where where Drax um, takes in the uh, the troubled teenage uh, Rigelian child. Yep. Me it was for it was. I love seeing the Guardians and the Avengers, but uh, I love me some Nova. I love me yeah. some Sam yep. Alexander. <laughs> yeah. We had the same voice actor from Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, Logan came back to do the voice and did a great job. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And yeah, thank you. Again. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, guys. Go make animation. Yes. <laughs>
All right, we're back with This Week in Marvel questions and comments. Reminder again, you can use the hashtag This Week in Marvel or email us at twimpodcast.marvel.com. Uh, first up, Don DJ Fanko says, wait a second, the darkness was on This Week in Marvel? Mm. Going to hit play for my commute. And then he says, hashtag, I believe in a thing called love. And listen to the rhythm of my heart. Man, the darkness is dope. Yeah, the I'm darkness glad they is freaking awesome. Yeah. Did you meet them when they came by? I still have not. I, I helped not. facilitate them coming in, I but I love that first record and some of their other yep. stuff too. Great dudes. Glad they're, they're Marvel fan. fans. Yep. Uh, Jim Radloff sent us a really cool picture saying Avengers Assemble, a little photo from, uh, from you know, the Halloween mm. of uh, uh, fans, Jim, I assume, and some uh, of his friends dressed up as Tony Stark, Hulk, and Captain America. Very good. Good costumes. Lance Presley says... Why doesn't Human Torch just buy the Baxter building from Peter now that Johnny's rich, as detailed in Uncanny Avengers? Hashtag problem solved. But Makes remember, sense. it's comic book time, so right. we don't know what's right, happening right. when. So it could still happen. It could still happen, or or something happened to all that money right. that we don't know yet. You're so right. And like, there's just a million things. So yep. you never know. Uh, Ymir is the primordial ice giant of Norse mythology. The world was created from his melting body. Hashtag Norse mythology. Pronounce Ymir. Mm, yummy. Yummy. So then, uh, still, so he's the primordial ice giant. Right. What is Laufey? Yeah. Is still he just like, he is not, <laughs> like new school? He's yeah. like, he shows up and he steals your girlfriend kind of ice giant? Yeah. This is another Jack and John scenario. Will we ever get to the bottom of it? Oh, I, I hope thought we, we were past that. I hope we get some Jack and John answers in this uh, in these questions. Nisa at MC Slays says, just binged all 313 episodes of This Week in Marvel. Wow. Glad I found the podcast listening to the last episode now, and honestly, it is amazing. 10 that out is, of 10. How, that is what? dedication. Yes, Nisa. We did it. Maggie is, is like, I think Cringing. that was too loud and it hurt so her much. ears. Oh, yeah. No question. Nisa, you Worth get... It. A billion twin points. Yeah. I think that puts you in the lead. Yeah. <laughs> Two billion twin points. Three. Now you're at three. So everybody, step it up. Yeah. If you all, if, if you guys want to rate us five stars mm-hmm. and subscribe on iTunes, that'll probably do something she, positive. She gave us a 10 out of 10. Yeah. So where's everybody else at? Yeah. Where are you guys at? Holler. We do this for free. <laughs> we have many tens of thousands of listeners <laughs> every week. I would love more of that. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Um, Raph, Raph AB says, ready to see Thor Ragnarok. Uh, what a, there's something it's she's handing updated me. Updated text because there's a new text from Raph. Got it. All right. It I'll read that at the end. Uh, since Agent M loves Dragon Ball, Thor's new ability, seen in the trailer or in the movie, reminded me of Super Saiyan 2. Mm. You better believe I thought the same thing, Raph. Mm. Super, so Super Saiyan 2 is when the Saiyans, they've already evolved into their next form, which is the yellow hair and the yeah, glowing yeah, yeah. superpowers. Super Saiyan 2 is amping up their power level mm-hmm. so much higher and then lightning just around their body when they're in that form. It's Got great. it. Got it. Good. Now we're all learned. Uh, he says, Fraff says, did I miss something about All New Falcon? What happened to him? Uh, he's going to be appearing coming up in Champions. There as you I, go. As I, he's, under, as I understand it. He's referenced in the new issue of Falcon he very is. briefly. He so is don't worry. We'll get he's more of him. Out. He's coming up. 
Uh, pretty sure Ben's wife Megan didn't want to be Gamora for, Hall for Halloween because she has a namesake who's green, and then referencing a uh, something we can't talk about. Someone we don't <laughs> want to talk about, but we get the very clever. Yeah, good job, <laughs> go Raph Ab. Uh, Raph tweets to Matt Rosenberg says, "I'm listening to your interview in this week on Marvel. I can't stop laughing." Yeah, it was pretty funny. It was great. We have a good time. I still don't think we got to the bottom of when Bucky and Clint are kissing. No. I need <laughs> clarification. We need, we need answers. Yeah. The world needs answers. Totally. Uh, just saw that uh, Bendis was retiring from comics. I was not ready for this, yeah. Raph says. This is, this is uh, hot news. Hot off the presses. There you go. He's done. He's throwing in the proverbial towel. We love him dearly. Yes. Uh, if uh, Raph... Last one from Rafi says, if Dupe ever appears in cartoons or live action, he should have a Donald Duck kind of voice. Whoa. Oh, that's trippy. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I watched the DuckTales cartoon, mm. which is terrific. Oh, yeah. I didn't mean to check that Oh, out. my God. It's amazing. Here's the thing. Mm. I love it partially for nostalgia, but also because it's great. My mm. wife has no nostalgia no for nostalgia, it. She loves it. it. It's mm. a really smart, well-done cartoon. Mm. All right, Robert, Captain Rogers 44, says, finally catching up on my reading. I don't know how you guys do it, reading every issue every week. He just mentions me and Ryan, no no talker. Do you read every I guess he I guess he knows how I do it every yeah. week then. Yeah. How's oh. that? Well, so thanks, Robert. <laughs> Hawkeye number 11, really great. Love the Kate Mask Showdown. Love how great this book looks and reads. It's perfect every time. Well said. Secret Warriors number 7 was such a fun book. Not the biggest Deadpool fan, and watching Daisy nearly kill him was great. Thor Ragnarok was the best, easily one of the funniest to date. Thanks, Taika Waititi. What a film. Hashtag Hulk smash. Hashtag punny god. Hashtag this week in Marvel. I like punny god. I do too. I've not seen that That's hashtag before. That's pretty That's good. real good. I hope That's a million talk. twin points for oh, Robert. Jesus. <laughs> just handing them out like candy. I'm feeling it today. <laughs> Yeah, finally from Robert, Captain Marvel 125 was a good read. Dark Origin is looking to be a great story arc. May the Force be with her. Hashtag Carol Core. Scott, Mel Scott McElroy at Dr. Spidey says, Now that the current Silver Surfer run is over, it would be a crime against nature if it doesn't get an omnibus mm, treatment. That's for sure. Uh, and wishing Agent M Godspeed on next, next weekend's Infinity Gauntlet Challenge. If you see me on the course, please save a high five for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, anybody who's out there who's running any of the races, find me. Say hi. Tweet me. See if he's doling out high fives like twin points. I'm at least doling out uh, exclusive Thwip the Big Marvel Show Ooh. buttons. Ooh. There you go. So get one of them. Simon Sebs tweets, Twim of the Week for October 18th. Mighty Thor, number 700. It was awful what happened at the end, though. Well, yes, that was like that. that is classic Jason Aaron, yep. like, all these amazing Gun things, punch. and then punch you in the junk, yep. and then in the gut, and then in the face, and then in the junk again, and then in the junk again, uh -huh. and then in the junk again. Yep. <laughs> it hurts. Uh, but Simon says, I'm glad I wasn't the only one thinking Thanos and Hello were about to go to the bone zone in that issue. Yeah, makes sense. Oh, no. uh, Simon continues saying, reading Generation X number seven, Quentin Quire continues to be the worst. Also, I hope those twins aren't going to the Bone Zone, although I won't be surprised if they are. It was pretty heavily implied. <laughs> it was the Fenris twins, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We know where they go. They are. They, they live in the Bone Zone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> Simon says, I may be the only one, but I'm a bit sad by the lack of wrestling talk on the show lately. Yeah, we haven't talked a lot of wrestling lately. <sighs> I don't get to watch a lot of wrestling lately. Yeah. I, uh, I'm still keeping up. I, I don't watch Raw or SmackDown, but I still watch the, the events. 
whatever they are, network specials. I'm going to watch War Games. War Games is going to be You give me War dope. Games, I'm tuning uh, in. I'm still watching NXT regularly. It's a lot of fun. I've been watching some old Saturday Night Live, uh, Saturday Night Main Events, Saturday Night Live, some old WCW Nitro. So, yeah, hit me up on Twitter. I'll, I'll let you know what I'm watching. Nice. Uh, I was very excited by the uh, the news about New Japan's mm. uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12. Mm-hmm. Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho's doing it. Versus Kenny Omega. It's quite a, that's going to be quite a match. I am very excited by that one. Uh, I've watched all the Wrestle Kingdoms over the last like four or five years. Oh, yeah. They're phenomenal. It's like yeah. they are legitimately six hour long. Mm-hmm. It's like WrestleMania length, and it is worth yeah. it. It is top to bottom spectacular. All right. <clears throat> Simon says, listening to episode 313, hey, Ben Morris, let's leave the terrible accents to Agent M. You wow. got it. That well, is a real condemnation right there. But we've all got some great accents in us, don't we? Oi, governor. <laughs> Boom, nailed it. Uh, Simon continues saying, Twim of the Week for October 25th was Moon Girl number 24. He says, reading Black Panther 166, it was interesting to see Claw's backstory fleshed, fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really dug that. Um, Tana, like we said last week, Tanahasi gave... So much to that, or whatever week that was, Tanasi gave so much to that character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see, Thor Ragnarok is one of the funniest MCU movies up there with Guardians of the Galaxy one and two. Um, Simon does have some notes about the uh, Punisher series, and he says uh, he's excited, getting uh, a better idea of what the the story is. Less worried about you know how it would be in this landscape that we're in right now. So uh, I think there's a lot of people who are going to be in love with that Punisher series. It's going to be an interesting one, but, man, everybody who's seen it says it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Back to Thor Ragnarok. Simon says, uh, it could have been just two hours of Hulk and Thor banter, and I would have been happy. <laughs> there were some surprisingly dramatic and touching moments in the movie, in addition to the comedy. As someone with long hair, is this all from Simon? Yeah. yeah. Simon, you got long hair? That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, we met Simon. I guess we met Simon like three years ago. Yeah, something like okay. that. Okay. Like, people's hair grow. grows, guys. Mm. That's what happens. It's life. He says, that someone with long hair, I understand Thor not wanting to have his cut. Preferred it that way. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good scene. <laughs> Come on, Thor. No need to be dis- uh, disturbed about seeing Hulk naked. The human body is a beautiful thing. Yeah. You love that scene. We got some Hulk booty. Uh, so now Valkyrie and Misty Knight have been introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Time for a Fearless Defenders movie. Let's, let's do it. Yeah, I love that Fearless Defenders series. It was, it was a lot good of fun. fun. Definitely check that out on uh, Marvel Unlimited if you have not yet. Tome of the Week for Simon for November 1st. Spectacular Spider-Man number 6. He says, after reading Power Pack number 63, I would like to see the series come back as an ongoing. Too bad. <laughs> well, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I could. There's a little note at the end saying, hey, if you want more Power Pack. If you want more Power Pack, you're doing the right thing by letting us know. Yeah. Simon continues, listening to episode 314, I want to hear more about these mustache pageants Marvel used to have. Is that mm, yeah. still a thing? Yeah, it's not. hasn't been a thing for many years. If not, could it be brought back? I'm sure Agent M would take first prize every year. Yeah. Hashtag facial hair bros. Definitely a I would, front runner. I would not. No. Because for the mustache pageants, you remember, I don't know if you remember these. They I would, just did one. People I, would go all out. I remember yeah. Nelson Ribeiro who's now in our creative services group, mm-hmm. used to be in the trades department. Owns a, owns a steakhouse in uh, Japan. <laughs> I got that reference. Uh, he shaved most of his head but kept basically a line of hair from his mustache up over his jawline up to his uh, sideburns and connected to the top of his head all the way down. He won. 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> Rightfully so. Of course he did. I'm not doing any of that nonsense. No. I live this every day, though. Yeah. This is the reality, this mustache. Anyway. Uh, Simon continues saying, I'm surprised Ben Morse chose Spider-Man's Tango Web number 21 for Twim URC. I guess the spirit of the holidays overrode his irrational hatred of Crystal. Nothing irrational about it. If Nothing a- irrational. If Agent M chooses a story starring Gambit, I'll, it'll be a Christmas miracle. Mm. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm not, not going to choose happen. it. No. Uh, I'm sure they're just good friends, but part of me thinks Hulk and Valkyrie were going to the Bone Zone and Thor Ragnarok. I think they did at some point. Yeah? Yeah. I, th- I think they both like to party. <laughs> the tech lord likes Pendragon says I am retweeting instead of reposting so I can own my own goof there go those points thanks Raffi for catching me uh, says Silver Sable and the power pack makes its comeback with issue 36 from Marvel Legacy so apparently he incorrectly said Silver Sable and power pack rather than Silver Sable and the wild pack says, but you have your power packs your wild packs your wolf packs oh yeah, yeah. you got all, all the packs things. Uh, if I'm the last tweet on This Week in Marvel, I prefer it to be upbeat. So this time, you guys rule. Thanks for each of the 315 episodes. And Alan Wilkinson, not allowing Tech Lord to be the last tweet, says seconded. <laughs> Hashtag last word. <laughs> I love it. Very I nice. love it. 10,000 twin points to each of you. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, got one, we got a couple emails, but this one is from uh, Jason Kim, I believe. Uh, this one came in from Jason says Aloha from Hawaii one a belated happy birthday just wanted to wish Steve Ditko a happy belated 90th birthday his birthday was Thursday November 2nd to me Jason says he is one of the most important creators in comics absolutely mm-hmm. wouldn't have no Spider-Man without Steve Ditko it would be a very different Spider-Man yep um, and he says number two a happy belated a belated happy anniversary. I just wanted to wish you guys a happy sixth anniversary. Mm. It was on November 4th, 2011, that the first This Week in Marvel episode was released. Ryan and Ben, a big mahalo for all your hard work for doing the podcast. For doing the podcast over the last six years. You guys are the Marvel 2-in-1. Please continue to keep up the great work. Six years. We've not missed a week. Never. That's That's the thing that, like, I feel most proud of. Uh, to we've not taken up the holidays. Mm-mm. You recorded during the friggin' hurricane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is real. This is yeah. who we are. This is what we do. So thank you, everyone, for listening. As we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, working on the next iteration of what the show is and will become, and we're excited. It's Very excited. Tucker, are you excited? Absolutely. Could not be more excited and could not be more honored to have joined you guys for the last 15 or so episodes of these 315. Have you been here for almost four months? Yeah. It's pretty wild. Good Since golly, Miss Molly. It's going by fast. Oh, boy. We better uh, end this. Uh, all right. Reminder, next week's Twim URC. More yep. holiday stuff. More holiday stuff. Get into this week in Marvel. Uh, get into Marvel Unlimited. Find out what the books are and read them up. We'll be back next week. This is Marvel. Your Go universe. Universe. First. 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 First.